Hello, everyone. This is episode 95, Leaving Neverland Roundtable. It's a bit of an emergency episode. We are still in season four, and the record date is the 2nd of February, 2019. Welcome to the Roundtable. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans for MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Hey Q, how are you? Hi Jamin, thank you for joining us. I am Q and I am joined by my co-host Jamin of the MJ Cast. And we have also got a number of other people seated around this uh, audio roundtable today. We have a very thick Charles Thompson, who is going to be joining us, but may not contribute as much as previous contributions, which I know a lot of you will be very disappointed about. But Charles, hello to you in London, England. Oh, poor Charles. Can you please get well soon? You've been sick for way too much this last year. Yeah, I'll do my best. In London as well, we've got Samar Habib. Welcome back to the show, Samar. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Nice to speak to you. I think this is the first time we've spoken. Is that right? No, I think I've spoken mm. to you before. Mm. No, we had no, on the Dangerous, sure. Dangerous, dangerous Roundtable. Table. You guys were on that together. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was good <laughs> fun. Go. All right, and uh, you've just come off an interview with the BBC, is that correct, regarding this very yeah. topic? Yeah, that's right. I, I'm, I'm still kind of on edge, so you got me a good time. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be in fine form. <laughs> good, good. Uh, and calling in from Spain, we have a first-time voice. His name is Marcos Cabota. He is a film director. He's currently working on a Bruce Woodian documentary about his life and career and has also made a very well-known Star Wars documentary, I Am Your Father. Marcos in Spain, thank you so much for joining us. You've actually seen the Leaving Neverland film, and you were one of its earliest critics, and we are very happy to have you on the show to hear about what you saw and your reaction to it. Thank you so much for joining us from Spain. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. It's great to have you, and we can't wait to hear your insight. And, of course... Sure. We cannot ignore, we have Taj Jackson on the line. Thank you so much for your time, Taj. Singer in 3T, eldest son of Tito and nephew to Michael Jackson and currently raising funds on a GoFundMe project for a counter-documentary docu-series. Taj, we are so grateful for your time. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome back to the MJ cast. Oh, I love it. Thanks for having me again. Episode 94, our Harrison Funk special. Please do not miss that if you have. You have missed some very key points, folks. In the post-show, 
just like a Marvel film, you should not leave when the credits start to roll. There is a very long discussion from Jamin and Charles and Harrison regarding this Leaving Neverland documentary and also his interactions with Wade and Jimmy Safechuck back in the day. We strongly recommend you go back to episode 94 and even if you maybe have heard the start and then left during the, the music at the credits, go back because there's what another 45 minutes or so, Jamin? Yeah, I think it's about 45 minutes. We put it together when this news broke about the quote-unquote documentary. And uh, it was it was fascinating to hear from Harrison because he, like you said, interacted with uh, Wade and James uh, in the day. And just hearing his insights into the real Michael Jackson, the real Neverland, and the real Wade and Jimmy at that time is uh, is really interesting. Indeed. Not only a great interview at the start, but... The uh, insight at the end is um, there's some tea spilt. Let's just say that. Let's just say that. <laughs> Absolutely. Jamin, do you want to just maybe drop a little bit of context about this hack film, this mockumentary propaganda piece that is um, causing a few waves across the world? I'd love to. So it was sort of sprung on us all in the fan community. It's not something we knew was coming or even being worked on. But yeah, a few weeks ago, basically, the news broke that a documentary was premiering at Sundance. It's a collaborative effort between the UK's Channel 4, HBO, uh, and Dan Reed's Amos Productions. And it's basically a film, from what I understand, and Marcos will be able to give a little bit more detail, he's actually seen it, but this documentary uh, captures... I guess these the fake stories from James Savechuck and uh, Wade Robson and their allegations against Michael Jackson. We know that they brought a case uh, against the Michael Jackson estate and its uh, many entities uh, a couple of years ago, which was thrown out of court by the judge because of um, various reasons. But nonetheless, the case was thrown out. And so what they've done now is they've teamed up with Dan Reed to put this documentary together, capturing their lies and also the thoughts of their immediate family members. And uh, it more or less portrays Michael Jackson as a as a, a monster, a child molester. And um, uh, from what I understand as well, it goes into detail around uh, the previous allegations against Michael as well from the early 90s and the mid-2000s to some degree. And what can I say? We're, uh, we're devastated that this is going on. Hopefully, we can still have some kind of say in this or stop it. But uh, in a few weeks' time, it looks like this film is actually going to hit TV. Not Netflix, thank God, but I'm pretty sure it'll be on HBO in the US and and in the UK as well, on Channel 4. Just a little bit of context, the reason why this film has a, been able to go ahead, there is no laws protecting the deceased from slander. So maybe someone else can give us a bit more context on that. Charles, are you able to maybe just clarify that for us? Defamation law is civil law which exists to enable somebody who has been the victim of damaging claims in the public domain. So uh, if somebody says something which could damage your reputation or your business, effectively, that's defamation. Uh, and the law allows you to bring a civil claim for defamation. And if you prove that you've been defamed, then you can um, be awarded damages. Uh, but the law ceases to protect you the moment you die. So effectively, what they're doing to Michael Jackson in this film they could do to any one of us the moment we die. They could do it to anyone. You don't have to have any evidence whatsoever. You can say anything about anyone uh, as long as they're dead. 
thank you so much for that clarification. And I just think that's important for us to know, which it's very different from back in the day when like Victor Gutierrez wrote uh, a book and was taken to court by Michael Jackson and sued and Victor lost the case and had to pay millions and millions of dollars to Michael, which he never did. He fled the country and hasn't paid a cent because Michael was alive and that is classed as defamation and slander. So we might hand over to Marcos and get a little bit of a rundown on the film. He has seen the Leaving Neverland film. Uh, He wasn't at Sundance to see it. It was sent to his film distribution company, and that's how he got to see the entire documentary. Marcos, can you give us a bit of a rundown on things that the film includes and how you as a filmmaker view this film and its effect. Okay. First of all, excuse my English. I'm from Spain. So uh, sometimes, you know, my English is not perfect. I'll, I'll try to do my best. Okay. Like two weeks ago or, or I was, I don't know, 10 days ago or seven days ago, I don't remember. Uh, my distribution company, they called me that they had to receive the film Living Neverland. And they were actually a little bit worried because this distribution company is the company that distributes my films. And my next film is not a Michael Jackson documentary, but it's a related Michael Jackson documentary. And, and so they called me and, and they said, maybe you should see this because uh, this could be a problem. So I went to their offices and I sat down in front of a computer. And so I watched the whole movie in and I, I couldn't believe what I saw. So what the director has done in this movie, he builds up the first part of the movie very, very, very good. And it's very credible. And the first part of the movie is how uh, James and Wade met Michael. You have to think that meeting Michael Jackson is something quite unique. Not everybody has had the uh, luck to meet, you know, the man. So when you're watching a movie where two kids, two normal kids, have the luck to meet Michael, it's already like magical. They tell you it's like like for half an hour or 45 minutes, they're explaining you how these kids met Michael. And they are showing you pictures of the kids with Michael. They're showing you pictures of Michael uh, with the kids in their home, you know, like very relaxed pictures on the sofa with family. And, and you as a spectator, you are, you know, you're like, oh, my God, how lucky they've been. So you are slowly getting into their world. So you trust them, you believe them, because you can see evidence, because yes, they met Michael Jackson. And that's quite unique. When they have captured you in this way, when they have you uh, like, now you're in my world, you're in my magical world. You, you see, I met Michael, you see my picture with Michael, you see my autographs of Michael. Now I'm going to start saying other stuff. And, and that's when I couldn't find credible that stuff because they started, you know, you, it was like a very nice movie about two kids meeting Michael by separate, you know, first one and first the other one. And then suddenly they start talking about abusing and they start saying those nasty things that uh, I can't even reproduce. Uh, description, description, description of so, so much horrible things you wouldn't imagine. I couldn't believe a word of them. I saw clearly what the director was doing. When you want to say a lie, first you have to say a truth. And like the, the first 35 minutes of the documentary, it's all truth. So you believe everything from that, from then on. Now you have to believe it, everything they say. Like 35 minutes, 40 minutes onward, 
is when the lives began. It's where I, I, I couldn't believe the word they say. What Dan Reed has done is, is a very credible 35 minutes beginning of the story and very, very nice for uh, 35 minutes. So when they get you trapped, now the lies begin. So basically he's gained the audience trust and from exactly. then on. Exactly, because you yeah. you like those kids. You're, you're the yeah. first 35 minutes you like them. You say, they're you know, relatable. You, I, yeah, you want to be like them. You you want to you be their friends. You want to, you know, how lucky they've been and how incredible is Michael. They talk about Michael saying he's a great guy. So, so you know, it's a very nice, nice, nice atmosphere it creates. And then after that, it turns like 180 degrees. And, uh, you know, the bad thing starts. Also, all of the, the pretext, the first 45 minutes, which is the, the wonderful stuff and they've got photos, that's all stuff. Another reason why you trust them and believe them is because that's all real. That is all yeah, provable. Exactly. There's, there's evidence for all of that. So if they have exactly. evidence of all of those stories, why would you then doubt the rest? Exactly. That's the trick. That's the trick of the film. The 35 minutes are all true. So now you believe the rest, you know, the other three hours. That's, the, you know, that's what they've done. So, Marcos, when you do get into the second half of the film where the allegations are coming out and they're detailing these horrible lies around sexual acts, does Dan Reed attempt to put in any, like, other evidence around that at all? Like, other, you know what I mean? Or is it just the stories of the guys? No, no, there's just the stories. There's no evidence, zero evidence. There's some faxes and some autographs that, they, you know, Michael say, I love you and I miss you. But, you know, that's not evidence for me. That's not evidence of sexual abuse. Which is interesting because as soon as I heard that, I actually went into my safe where I keep all my letters of my uncle. And I found exactly, almost verbatim, you know, a lot of them that that stated that. And and I thought to myself, I said, wow, in the wrong hands, this could look horrible. You know, but this is because Michael... Mm-hmm. Or my uncle was basically he was that trusting and he loved everyone. So it you know I exactly with the I miss you. I have exactly that same yeah. message that says you know I miss you, love Michael to someone when they've been already in that mindset and they've seen you know in the way that it's edited or the way that it's cut and they see it now that I miss you becomes something sinister. And yeah, exactly. when in reality it was innocent. I have I have one that says you know I, I had such a fun time last night or something similar to that. And it's like, you know, and it's like, I was thinking, I'm like, wow, you know, I have to really keep track of all these because, you know, really they could be explosive in the wrong hands. And, you know, it was just my uncle really saying I had a lot lot of fun last night, but I think I am going to post some of those on Twitter to just show, look, Mm -hmm. you know, this is how he was. It, there's nothing explosive in any of these. This is how I have these. My brothers have these. You know, other people have these. So it's it's not anything new, but at the same time, yeah. because they don't know Michael and they don't know that universe to them, it's like, oh, my God, you know, he I, does, I, they have. I can actually, have confirm. Yeah. I can actually <laughs> confirm some of, some of that when we were at um, the Dorchester Hotel in 1992, when uh, Michael was touring on the Dangerous Tour. All of us fans were like standing outside the Dorchester. Michael was upstairs in his balcony with Brett Barnes and... Mm-hmm. But he had bed sheets and pillow covers, and he was yep. signing these pillow covers. I love you, uh, I love you so much to all the fans. MJ, MJ, MJ. And he was writing, 
lots of messages, things like, you know, you kept me awake last night because they, obviously the fans were outside the window screaming <laughs> <laughs> all night. And he said, you know, I really need to get some sleep, blah, blah, blah. And there'd be tons and tons of these messages and there'd be, he'd be throwing them into the crowd. And, or, and any one of those people in the audience or any one of those fans will have any number of bed sheets, you know, uh, handkerchiefs, pillowcases with his name, with his writing on there. Uh, like Taj says, in the wrong hands, anything. I mean, you know, any message you get from your, your parents, any message you get from your children in the wrong hands. Anyone, yeah. look or or, or you know? your friend, you know, or, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah, even a exactly. friend. I've told, I've told my friends plenty of times that I love them, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, of course. Uh, something actually Charlie was saying about um, the legalities around making a propaganda film like this and kind of, you know, how you can say anything you want about someone who's dead now. That's not the only part of the, that's not the only layer of the land, so to speak. The layer of the land currently now is that there's money to be made. There's prestige to be attained by being the next Ronan Farrow. Oh, right? for sure. By being the next person who breaks a big story. So Dan Reed's in a, in a oddly enviable position because now he can say anything he wants about Michael Jackson and there's literally no comeback. And, you know, you can gain all the plaudits in the world. You can be celebrated wherever you go. You can have every journalist eating out of your hands as long as they don't actually read any further into the allegations, you know, as long as you limit what they, what they have access to, which he's done incredibly by just focusing on two families. Hence, there's no journalistic integrity in it because it's not a documentary. It's a propaganda piece. So, Samar, why do you think these critics, well, you know, supposed critics out there that are, that are taking this film really seriously and praising it, why do you think people are giving them any stock? I mean, this is a one-sided documentary that doesn't present evidence at all or any other side to the story. So why are people taking this seriously? Well, I've just come off the BBC, of the BBC radio, where uh, a, a, a woman who has just reviewed the film has talked about the Me Too era and the, you know, the presumption of, almost a presumption of guilty before being presumed innocent, that, you know, victims should be believed. The host asked her to clarify, does she mean that the, that the alleged victims should be listened to? Or do you believe the alleged victim should be believed? She said, I, I think they should be believed, which means that by, you know, this is not the rule of law. This is not how society works. If you're doing this to Michael Jackson now, based on a couple of faxes and, you know, uh, a legal case that was brought five years after he was dead, anyone is fair game. Anyone, as soon as they pass away, is fair game. Bill Gates who's worth billions, is fair game. Steve Jobs' estate, that's fair game. Anything is fair game mm -hmm. uh, as long as you have someone willing to, uh, to make the accusation. A, there's a lot of laziness. B, as we found on social media today, there's a, a complete lack of social, cultural, and racial diversity in most newsrooms in the Western Hemisphere. So in the UK, for example, 95%, I think, actually, of journalist rooms in mainstream publications are white middle class. What do you think they're going to think? What, do, what, what investigative work do you think they're going to put in to trying to uh, find the truth out about a famous black celebrity? They're not going to do anything. They're not going to, 
care anything. As soon as you talk to them about David Bowie and any allegations that might have been made against him, as soon as you talk to them about Led Zeppelin, as soon as you talk to them about Rolling Stones, they don't want to talk about it. You know, they celebrate their heroes and anyone who they don't particularly care about, anyone they raise their eyebrows over is fair game in their eyes and they don't care. And that's a failing of on of multiple levels of our society, but also of our uh, culture that our media is being presented to us by a homogenous white middle-class grouping and th- which is not representative of our society in the UK and in the US. Yeah, very true. I think you're spot on with that. And I think me growing up in the environment, I realized that I realized that from day one, you know, I would see stories about my uncle and, I, and knowing him, I'd be like, why are they lying? So I never believed the media. I never trusted the media because to me, they were always trying to make money off my uncle. And the more sensational the story was, the more they made. And so I think as a family, the one thing that we did wrong was basically we let it slide. We let it go. We didn't, you know, we didn't fight it. You know, that wasn't our style to do. And our styles changed recently because we're sick of this. We're sick of all these lies and all these lies basically have become truths to people now. And so we have a lot of work to do, a lot of ignorance. I know we're all over there on Twitter answering things that are, have been answered already millions of times. They're even a minute Google search away. Forget five mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, you're like, did you even, but I don't even think it matters. I don't think the truth matters anymore. It's all about clicks. It's all about getting that exactly. headline or that. I think that's what people go off of. And that's the integrity that journalists mm-hmm. unfortunately have. There's some, as I said before, there's some really good journalists, but they're in the minority now. Well, yeah, I mean, the point I made today there's a journalist in this country called Marina Hyde. She writes for The Guardian. The Guardian is supposed to be the most liberal of the mainstream press, so it's supposed to be the fairest and the kind of most woke, so to speak. I mean, she wrote an article today that would have been actionable. It was libelous. It would have been libelous had Michael Jackson been alive. There's no way she would have been able to write that article had he been alive. Mm-hmm. And I questioned her on it, on her tweet. She didn't re- respond to my tweet. And I was perfectly polite. She responded to lots of other people's tweets who agreed with her. And then she subtweeted me saying, the funniest thing I've read today is uh, a Michael Jackson fan with the biography of blah, blah, blah. And I just tweeted her back and said, you could just respond to my tweet. It, it's very simple to do. There's, a, there's, they don't they want can't to. Fight, they can't fight they with facts. They can't fight the facts. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. They can't fight the facts. She wasn't willing to defend her column to someone who would have been able to pick it apart easily without even referencing Google. I was, I was able to pick it apart, but she wasn't willing to engage in conversation. And she wasn't the only one. There was a guy on a phone-in show, a TV phone-in show last week, Nihal, who's a radio presenter in this country. He was also on a TV talk show last week. And I mean, the spurious claims he was making as one of these talking heads, you know, these guys, you know, he, he said, these guys, you know, they were ignored. No one listened to them back in the day. And I tweeted and I said, Wade Robson was the first <laughs> witness in the criminal trial of 2005. That's the complete opposite of being ignored. That's being invited <laughs> to give your testimony. 
you yeah. know, but this and these guys get paid for having these opinions yeah. and yeah. speaking this nonsense. And, you know, us with the knowledge that we have, we have to sit back and kind of imagine that we're in this parallel universe where the truth actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, if you have the truth and you have facts on your side, you're, you will be caricatured. You will be kind of uh, laughed at. You know, we're, we're flat earthers in their universe. No, this is where I'm <laughs> correcting that narrative. They are the flat earthers. And exactly. we really need, to, we exactly. really need yes. to get that out there. This is junk science. These are ridiculous claims. They have zero evidence, zero facts. Mm-hmm. Taj, you've gone and found some of the letters that mm-hmm. you were mentioning before. Marcos, you mentioned in, in the documentary that they all they have is some faxes, yeah, some letters. Was, was there anything else other than faxes? And no, no, no nothing no. else. No, the the big, you know, the big part of their accusation are descriptions. So when you're watching the film, you know, the film is description, description and description. They say all these horrible things that that, uh, supposedly happened and you really feel bad. You feel bad because you you don't like to hear all those bad words, not because you're believing what they're saying. So if I do a documentary, you know, a three hours documentary saying that the world is flat, you will probably, you know, someone will probably believe that the world is flat and you this is a documentary that during three hours and a half there's two guys saying horrible description things you know they're describing horrible uh, situations on hotel rooms and in neverland and you know it's quite sick it's really really sick so this is like the strong part of the movie the descriptions but there's no evidence zero evidence and there's only one side of the story you know no there's no one saying, you know, the other part of the story or, you know, trying to, to fight them back. And this is not good professional work. The yes. other side of the story, Taj, you've got some of those, like, messages yeah. from Michael there. And you're going to be working on a counter film for this, which we really want to make yeah. people aware of. Yeah, not only specifically for this, because in my, I mean, you know, we've been hitting this head on. And I honestly, in my heart of heart, think that, you know, at the rate this is going and things are being uncovered, they, this might be found. They might be found out before I even finish my documentary. Um, we can try. <laughs> you know, I mean, because they've left so many trails. It's just no one's done the homework. You know, and it's it's not something hard to figure out. They're really relying on people's emotions, and they're re- relying on those descriptions to hit their, people's guts. And, and hit them in a way, a visceral way that they feel angry. And I think they even played it very well at Sundance. They had, pe- they had people outside, psychiatrists outside in case, you know, they were disturbed. It's, it's, it's such propaganda. And it's, and I'm laughing because I shouldn't be laughing because it's not a laughing matter, but it's, it was brilliantly played. You know, it was the media, the, the people outside, just in case it's so graphic that you have mm. to, you know, you know, you need therapy and all that stuff. It 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 was played well. I'll I'll give them that. But it still doesn't, you know, have they don't have any facts to back it up. So that's all they have is someone's case. And as we all know, there's many, many this is not something new in society of blaming someone for something that they didn't do and convicting the wrong person. And convicting an innocent person. And so, yeah, I have, I mean, I just grabbed a couple of them because um, I only want to share a couple. But I can, I mean, I can, I'm going to put all, all on it eventually, but I don't want to bore you guys. But here's one that says, Dear Taj, 
I miss you, and it has an explanation. Love, Uncle Michael. You know, so there, that's one that I easily could have used. But this one is the, my favorite. It's on a JAL um, napkin, so uh, Japanese airline napkin. And it says, with love always, I had a great time. I love you, Uncle Michael. So it's like this one looks very the, – the, the napkin one I like because it looks very suspicious, you know. This one I probably could get have gotten a lot of money for if it didn't say Uncle Michael on it. You know, I mean, that's how these people think. They think that disgustingly, and they think in terms of, oh, we, you know, we're gonna twist someone's words and we're gonna make them perverted, and and that's the mindset that they did. And and I, a fan said it best, and it was in a tweet. She said, Michael Michael Jackson's like a mirror. If you are pure, you're gonna see purity. If you have those kind of thoughts, you're gonna have you're gonna see those things. And I think that's true. It's it's all how it's read. But for me, I know my uncle is 100% innocent. There's no question to me. And I know these guys are lying. And it's it's kind of makes me angry, but at the same time, really upset that people are believing this and prominent people are believing it. And that's where I get I started to kind of break ranks and just and kind of tweet some of these people back because, I mean. You know, I can only take ignorance so far, and and that's the thing. You know, when you have prominent people uh, rehashing or regurgitating certain things, that's it. Taj, you've got a GoFundMe. Can you tell yes. us about that and the <laughs> aim you have for it, yes. and what you want to put out, what you want to release to counter this this film? I think the thing is, is that, and, you know, I'm not the best marketer for myself, but I think the thing is, is that I'm someone that has spent so much time with my uncle Michael. I mean, if you, I, I don't even know if I counted the hours, how many they would be, but I mean, ever since I was born to basically till he passed, I would say we were super close and always close. I think this documentary for me or this docu-series, because it's going to be more than one for sure. It's probably going to be around four or five episodes or parts to it. I think it, it for me, it's going to dive into everything. It's going to, and when I say everything, I mean all the misconceptions, but focusing mainly on, you know, the allegations, because I think that's where we have to really start. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've read that stupid phrase where there's smoke, there's fire or, well, why, why did he do this settlement? Or, you know, I heard he ha- he settled in 1993 with this and it's like or an innocent person wouldn't do that. And I think you have to really go back to that and explain that and explain the logic and explain how he basically was backed against a corner and he fought it. He literally tried to fight it from August to January, he tried to fight, you know, for the truth. But at the end of the day, he was backed into a corner by California, basically, who would not let the civil trial go after the criminal trial. And the reason I know this is because me, Terrell, and Teacher were the first ones flown up, you know, when the allegations hit, we were the first ones flown up to him to be with him. And I can tell you, he was angry. He was like, I'm not giving them a cent. This is what they do. You see this? No, I'm not letting this happen. And so, but at the same time, and this is the, the I, I almost used the word beauty, but I didn't mean it in that way. But he, he, 
you know, my uncle was a very sensitive person. And as this carried on, you know, I don't want to get too much of the documentary of what I'm going to say, but I can say that we saw what it did to him going through a trial because we got to see that in 2005, you know, this, he was already going through a lot, you know, when he was in Asia and when we were there with him, he was already going through that. He was already, you know, feeling that he was getting tortured in a way and he wasn't there to fight. And so for me, I understand it, but I think you have to kind of put your, the mindset of the public because a lot of people don't know, just like a lot of people don't know about the, you know, the, um, I guess the, the drawing of the, of the kid that didn't match, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone says, Oh, it matched. Well, (laughs) you know, a circumcised penis and an uncircumcised penis doesn't match. Sorry to say. It's just and not. also, if it did match, I'm pretty sure the DA would have run with that to the hills. Of course. Oh, 100%. He would have yeah. run with that. He oh, was, that would have been it. That would have yeah, been it. That would have been it. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, why would my uncle subject himself to being photographed naked before settling? Like, that's the thing. He always wanted to fight it. It's like... If I'm going to settle and get this out of my hair, I'm not going to let the public know about it, first of all. I'm not going to let the media know about it. I'm gonna want, I want it to go away. But he let them drag him through the mud and then photograph him naked and then settled. And that's only because the settlement was about the civil case. And it never prevented, yeah. it never prevented Jordy from testifying in a criminal case. And that's the thing that they don't Or his understand. family. Or, or his, his family or his friends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the the argument that is always given is that Michael Jackson paid off and that means that he paid a family so that they couldn't go to trial. No, that's not what happened. And yeah. again, I posted on my Twitter today the actual page from the settlement, uh, which was leaked illegally in 2003 before his 2005 trial. <laughs> we'll get to that. And in the settlement, it's explicit. The civil settlement doesn't preclude the family from testifying in a trial or any further trials. Hence, Geordie's mum was able to testify in 2005. Mm-hmm. No one believed her. That's such a massive misconception. Such a, It's just a lie that's perp- yeah. perpetuated over and yeah. over again. And it's easily disproved. And there's factual, printed, in black and white evidence to mm-hmm. disprove it. But exactly. Re- Marina Which... Hyde and all the other pseudo-journalists don't want to talk about it because yeah. it doesn't well, I... suit their narr- I... narrative. I think also, you know, people are lazy. And I think that's the thing, too. They don't want to do the research. Um, you know, a lot of the fights I've had on Twitter have been people like, well, it's not my job to do that research. And they and then they just leave the conversation. So <laughs> I think that what my documentary is going to do is basically put it out there very easy to digest in a way that is so blatantly obvious that it's, you know, and so fact-based that there's no disputing it. And I think that's going to be something different in that way because it's on YouTube. A lot of this is on YouTube already, but it it, it it requires someone to go click on something and sit there and watch it. And I think the difference is, is that I think this is going to have enough noise in a positive way that people are going to actually want to click and watch it, whether it's they're going, Netflix or it's They're or going it's to have to take notice for sure. Yes. I want to drop the link in now. We haven't mentioned it yet. It's www.gofundme.com slash untitled hyphen Michael hyphen Jackson hyphen documentary hyphen series. 
I know you're not good at hyping yourself up, Taj, but this is a really important mm. uh, aspect of yeah. the fight against this yeah. and actually getting the facts and evidence, which is available already, but we need to present it in this way. And you can't do this on your own. That's the thing. I've We've yeah. seen plenty yeah. of feedback of like, well, why can't they just go and pay for this themselves? Mm. But you can't do this on your own. Well, I think you, we can't do it on our own, but at the same time, from what we're seeing now, which is what I've always seen my whole life, you can't trust the media to, to put out the truth. And that's, I think, the, the biggest thing. I put, actually put that in there because everyone's like, oh, well, why don't you go to this channel or this channel? Every time we've gone somewhere, they've always twisted the truth. When my uncle went on Oprah, you know, everyone loves Oprah. But when my uncle went on Oprah, she started asking him about plastic surgery and this and, and about his skin color. It's like everyone, I don't care who you are. It's like somehow when it comes to the Jackson family, you lose all integrity and you lose all journalistic ability, you know, and same thing with Martin Brashear. He had done that documentary on Prince's Die. I'm sure that was the reason my uncle wanted to do that documentary with him. He's probably thinking, oh, he's going to do a brilliant documentary about me. But there's some kind of temptation that you think, I think you think this is, is my big break and I need it to be bigger. Yeah. I need it to be, I, this is great, but I need it better than this. So I'm going to throw something that's not true in there. And I think that's, and we can't afford that anymore. You know, as, as Michael fans, as family, this has to be something that is hundred percent factual so that because they're going to nitpick it to death. They're going to go through mm -hmm. it with 10 magnifying glasses each and try and find one thing faulty in it to discredit everything. And it's like, it's got to be truthful. It's got to be from people that have known my uncle their whole life. People that have worked with my uncle, people have worked for my uncle. So it's like, it's, this is going to be a character almost like a, I, I don't want to get too much away, but by the end of this, you were going to know who Michael Jackson was, how incredible he was, but also how much he endured and how much he was tortured in life. And the evidence to prove that all of this ridiculous money-making schemes is just that. It's Nothing. just that. And, it's just and that. Just that, but also planned and, you know, and executed and uh, talking about extortion and all that. Yeah, I mean, it's it will... It, that's why it's going to be a series because you can't fit it all in, in one yeah. movie or one, you know, I'm not even, I can't do it that injustice. So for me, this has to be, okay, we're going to talk about this and then we're going to talk about this. And, and I, I do get feedback from the fans and stuff like that. And there's certain things that I do want to talk about as well, but I think it's very imperative to first start with the 1993 allegations. I know that something that the fans want, from this and, and are hoping for is a great production value and getting this out there for everyone to see, maybe somewhere like Netflix. To what extent are you talking with Michael's estate about, you know, sort of partnering on this? Are they jumping in to help out? What's what's going on there? I can't say much, but I can say that we've definitely I've definitely talked to them and they definitely have said that they want Michael's name cleared as well in that way. And so I can tell you that they're definitely on my side for this and they've be definitely been supportive in clearing his name. So I don't want to say much cause I don't want to tip off anything, but, um, and if you would ask me a year ago, I probably would have said, well, this is going to have to just be on my shoulders. But I think this, these allegations that have just resurfaced has put everyone 
working together for a common goal, which is to, to expose, you know, to, to expose the truth. Marcos, you you are a filmmaker. You are actually in Seville, Spain. To you're nominated for an award, the highest Spanish film award ceremony this weekend. How easy is it to make a film financially? Can you give us some context of that? Because you're you're in the middle right now of yeah. filming the Bruce Swedean life story documentary. Yes, yes. Well, um, uh, financing a movie is not easy. Probably it's one of the hardest parts is um, to getting all the money together. For example, in my case, um, uh, I Am Your Father documentary, um, that cost around 300,000 euros. Um, it's more or less $280,000. And because it's not just doing the film, then you have to distribute the film. You have to do the publicity for the film. You have to tour around the world with the film. And you have to make sure, you know, the film um, gets into Netflix or, you know, other platforms. Um, so it's difficult to get the, the, the funding. It's one of the most difficult parts. And for example, um, I did start a Bruce, the Bruce Wayne movie and um, I'm on half of, of the project right now because I had only half the funding, but I wanted to to, sh- to start shooting. So like um, two months ago, I got the other half of the funding. Um, uh, I used um, in Spain, we have some helps from the government to, you know, to raise films and, and to do all these type of things and, and other production companies. And um, I got the other part of the finance. So I'm, I'm finishing the film now in March, but it's a thing that it can take for a year or even two years or, or even more. It's something slow, you know, getting the fun for the movie. is something real, real difficult. Taj, what can fans do to support uh, you, support this film, and how can fans most constructively combat this online onslaught caused by this propaganda film? I feel that the Michael Jackson fandom is the strongest fandom in the world. And I think that what they want us to do is basically go and hide in a cave and be, you know, scared or be, you know, not utter the words Michael Jackson ever again. And I think what would counter that, which is what everyone is doing, which is what I'm so thankful for, is everyone is literally wearing their shirts with pride, you know. And I think that is the key of it is letting them know we're not going anywhere and we want the truth to be out there. And I think that's that's when people get scared, you know, when the HBOs and the channels for get scared when we have a voice. And I think that's the thing. We're getting our voice back. We're all starting to unite. We're all starting to be vocal and we're hitting them with facts and we're hitting them with the truth. So for me, what I need the fans to do, you know, and I, as I said before, I'm not great at marketing myself, but Besides the documentary, it's just spreading the word and spreading the truth because affecting one person can affect another person that can affect another person. And I can tell you right now, if I didn't have the support of the fandom, I would have probably not been able to do what I'm doing right now. But I feel I feel that love and I feel that truth. I sent a message to Charlie this morning on WhatsApp after having a couple of interactions with some idiot journalists on Twitter this morning. (laughs) And I said to him and I said, this is quite worrying because, you know, this whole kind of flat earther comparison, I said to Charlie, I said, you know, this is quite, this is difficult because when the kind of 
noise is so loud from the media, we look like idiots here. We we look like, you know, the stuff I was being called online was like, oh, you support paedophile, basically. And that's really troubling for someone with kids, someone, you know, who drops his kids off at school, that people might actually ever think that. And then I, I said to Charlie, I'm quite worried about that. And then I thought, but I have the truth on my side. I know what the bloody truth is. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sadly, exactly. You, you always, of course, you're going to have doubts. Yeah. But then you think to yourself, but this is the truth. This is exactly. actually the truth. And good yeah. things are well, not going to happen until good people say things and stick up yep. for what is right and what is wrong. And, you know, the radio conversation I had five minutes before coming on, on this podcast, the woman who was a journalist who had reviewed the film, it was like listening to someone talking another language. When <laughs> I was aware of all the facts and the backgrounds of the ac accusations and the accusers, and for her to refer to them to me as incredibly credible, and I've spoken to them and they seem very credible. And I know, having spoken to people who have known Wade Robson for 25 years, mm -hmm. uh, who believe his line, believe Jimmy, Jimmy Safechuck a line, you can't pull the wool over our eyes. That's a problem. Yep, and that's the, the problem. Beauty of social, yeah, the beauty of social media is that the public has a say. That's why none of the journalists want to respond to my tweets because mm -hmm. they're very happy to caricature Michael Jackson fans as crazy, Peter Pan obsessed, blah, 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 blah. But when you, and I said, that's why I said in my tweet, I was perfectly polite. I, I, I wasn't rude to anyone. I asked very simple questions and I was still caricatured. It's because mm -hmm. they don't want to answer. And it's because they know that what they're producing, what they're publishing is so easily disproven. And yeah. How do you how do you continue to go to a job and get paid, knowing that you're writing nonsense and you're you have such a responsibility as a journalist in the world? How do you sleep at night knowing that you're just repeating lie after lie after lie? There's no thought behind the people who's related to the people who are still here, the people who it might affect. There's no thought about that. Yeah, you know the fans. I've been a fan for what, what, how, since 1981, 1982, 1983, right? So I've been through the highs, the very, very highs, and the very, very lows. And it's pretty low now. And for a while, I was really worried and really concerned. And then I remembered 1993. <laughs> and then <laughs> I remembered, you, I mean, me and Taj. This I'm is when I first rode yeah. <laughs> I'm even older than you, Taj, right? So, um, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. You, you know, you remember 1993 when there was... In England, there was four TV channels, mm -hmm. you know? There was no internet. There was no mass... The only mass media you had was four TV channels, and all they were doing was blasting allegations, and there mm -hmm. literally was no right of response. That's not the case now. Um, mm -hmm. Hence, you'll have lots of people who are, uh, who are saying, well, like Questlove the other day tweeted the mm -hmm. art article. I won't say who the writer was, but he tweeted an article. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, he, he tweeted the Forbes article, uh, looking further at the allegations... Yeah. And, you know, there's plenty of people with big platforms who are willing to ask the questions. Yeah. Whereas in 1993, that wasn't the case. And it was horrifying in 1993. Yes. And that, that's something that fans who, are, who might be listening now need to understand. Yes, there'll be short-term damage. Yes, it will hurt for a little while. But ultimately and eventually, Michael Jackson's legacy and art is too powerful and it's too strong. That's why these things happen. These things don't happen because he was a tiny little, you know, 
a pop star is because he was that big, that massive, that important culturally to people, not just in England, not just in America, in India, in Pakistan, in Nigeria, in Kenya, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, all over the world, he's known and he's important to all of those people. And he will always be important to those people. So yeah, it hurts for a little while and it's short term, but ultimately the truth will out and the truth will come out. He will be redeemed. That's it. We've got the facts. We've got the evidence on our side. We are the crazy ones out there just spouting <laughs> whatever. Taj, you were at Neverland so many times. You probably met these particular guys on occasion. Is there any stories that you want to share about your time at Neverland, what you saw at Neverland yourself when you were sleeping there, when you were living there or and interacting with certain people? Is there anything you want to put out today for people? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, the thing is, is I, I Neverland was a second home to me in, in my whole childhood growing up. I loved Neverland. I probably still to this day can close my eyes and probably walk around the whole property, even though it's humongous, pointing where everything is. It's it's imprinted in my head in, in such an incredible way. It was magic. And I think the thing is, is the what the media did so brilliantly was they made it seem like it was a like it was a scene from Pinocchio with the you know the the fair scene or the you know this dark shady thing the dollhouse that was so beautiful all of a sudden with the wrong lighting looked like a creepy <laughs> you know room and I'm like this is the doll room this is the room that's you know for me it was one of my favorite rooms and they're portraying this room as a creepy you know room and and it taught me a lot about the media even though I already knew what they were doing. But when you've experienced something and you know what it is, and I had a friend who was watching something on cable news and he had been to Neverland many times for our birthday parties or just with us. And he actually stopped listening to this guy. This guy was his hero and he was on Fox News. And, and you know, my friend was a, more of a conservative. When this guy started talking about Neverland being creepy and a, a place that entrapped kids, he's like, wait, th- I think that was when his light bulb went off. Like, wait a minute, I've been there millions of times. And how dare you paint it this way? And I think that's the thing that many people haven't been there, just like many people didn't know Michael. So for them, it's whatever way they want to paint it is the way that it happens. And so I think luckily there's been thousands and thousands of people that have been at Neverland that have thousands and thousands of great memories. And so I think that was something that never stuck was that Neverland was this creepy place because everyone had such a great time there. But for me, Neverland was home. I mean, I was, I was there for a long period of time and um, actually during the trial saw the Robson family come up to do their, te- you know, to do their testimony, sat there, had dinner with the Robson family and Uncle Michael and Paris Prince and Blanket or BG and the Barnes family was there as well. And it's like, you know, sat there and watched Wade introduce his fiance at the time to Uncle Michael and how excited he was to do that. And it's like, then I see this and I see the hypocrisy. I see the fact that he's claiming that at this point, Michael was a a child molester or a child of, I don't even, I can't say those words, but it's like, that's what he's claiming happened. And it's like, for me, it just, it's disgusting. But I think at the same time, what we really as 
fans and family have to be careful not to do, which is so tempting, is to jump down possible allies throats you know because we're going to need all the allies we can get and i know i you know there's so there's certain celebrities that i'm like why aren't you saying something you know but Mm. it's like i you know or even if they say something and it's not exactly what you want them to say be careful because those are going to be our allies we don't have many it is the easiest thing to do trust me i've caught myself many times and erased my tweet (laughs) but at the same time we need these allies because at the end of the day, we don't want to scare them away even more to the point where they don't want to, they're like, you know, I can't, w- damned if I do, damned if I don't. And so that's the thing. I mean, yeah, there's certain people that I would love for them to have said this or said this better. But at the end of the day, you know, it's like we're fighting people that are just blatantly saying he's a predator or that he, you know, he's a molester. So. We have to pick and choose where we're focusing this energy. Taj, also, I think I should make note, you know, the, the family did release a, a statement. Yes. Um, Jermaine has been, I think, quite vocal since the, the launch. There was a petition before the film actually started airing. He, he was posting about the petition, but he was on British TV. And you can yes. tell that this is really affecting the family a lot yeah. and and yeah. I want to just give props to your uncle Jermaine for speaking out so vocally as well but there are also other people speaking out in defense of your uncle we've seen a few tweets from Brett Barnes we've seen a young gentleman oh he met Michael he was the son of I think one of Michael's hairstylists he released yeah Janet yeah. Yeah, can you yeah. tell us maybe a little bit about some other people that have actually come out, we should really amplify those voices because I think they are getting drowned out a bit. I can't say who privately has reached out to me because of course. a lot of them have actually said that they'll be part of the documentary and I don't want to tip, you know, a kind of anyone off of in terms of like what, how to, I don't even want to say counter, but how to discredit some of them. And, you know, even there, there's no way to, it's just, I don't, there's enough time that, you know, there's, there's, you know, I, I see what happens with my uncle. So, I think the hard thing is that we're in this Me Too Times Up era that I think celebrities are so scared to come out and voice their support because if they do, you know, they get attacked. If they don't, they get attacked. So for them, they almost sit on the sidelines. Like in um, the 2005 trial, I was more disappointed because I don't think there was that much of a risk at that point. You know, it wasn't the same environment. You know, and my uncle didn't have, he literally only had his family and a couple of friends, you know, that kind of were um, supporting him. And it was a very, very lonely time at that point. But I think here there's, it's, I've been a little more lenient because I've seen people in the Times Up Me Too movement voice something, you know, for the person accused. And later it's, had been found out that the person accused was innocent. But, you know, I think as we started this, it's believe the victims first mentality. And so that's why you're not going to see a lot of celebrity support in the public. You're going to see it behind doors, but you're not going to see it in the public because to them, there's, there's no reward. There's only risk. Taj, there's one thing I really feel very strongly about, and I think you do as well. These 
false allegations and these just claims, and they're just claims. There's literally nothing to back these up at all. It is not only a huge dishonour and dis- like disrespect for your uncle and for your family and his family, but also real victims of abuse, real survivors exactly. of abuse. This is so disgusting that these people are out there and they're going to make a lot of money out of this. They say they haven't mm-hmm. been paid for the film. That is nothing. They, there is going to yeah. be so many avenues for them to make money from this. This course, director is going to yeah. be set for yeah. life on this yeah. film. Yeah. So how do you feel as a victim of abuse yourself what do you think that says about not only these allegations, but people that make stuff like this? You know, for me, I even tweeted because I, um, ahead of time, I said, please, I don't even want to say the name of the person, but I said, please, you know, if you have any questions, come to me first, you know, because I knew how important these movements can be, you know, especially if you're a victim to come out and, you know, can take a long time and a lot of courage. And so I didn't, you know, I've been very careful not to attack those movements in a certain way, even though they are attacking in in a way my uncle and his legacy. Um, So for me, I still have been tiptoeing around that because I am an actual victim and I don't, you know, I take that with, um, I'm very serious about that. And I've always been serious about that. And so I think they just... It's almost like, well, if we get one wrong, we get one wrong. No, that's not how it should work because that's, you know, one wrong is too much. And that's the thing because it destroys lives as well. And so you have to be careful too. You can't, but we have a, we have a mob mentality now in this world where it's just pile on, pile on. And I think that's the thing in terms of with everything, we just have to be careful. We have to sit back and, and, and maybe give it 24 hours to learn the truth. But that was not the case with this. In my day job for the newspaper, I've spent the last four years working on a very in-depth investigation into historic child molestation scandal. And so I've spent a long time now, the best part of the last two years, working directly with abuse victims, genuine child abuse victims. And the thing that cheeses me off really the most, or one of the things that upsets me the most about this film is that I I can foresee the damage that this will do to the cases of genuine victims as and when this is all discredited. Because we, we actually had this a couple of years ago in the UK. We had two big simultaneous police investigations, a huge kind of moral panic over historic allegations against celebrities, which sparked a massive police investigation called Operation U-Tree under which a couple of people were convicted, but most of the celebrities who were arrested and or charged were completely exonerated and had their careers destroyed, uh, despite being uh, vindicated. And then at the same time, we had uh, this huge scandal, which lasted a couple of years, where there was supposedly a historic paedophile ring operating out of the Houses of Parliament. And this story was run across pretty much every newspaper in the UK, every national newspaper. And it turned out to be complete bunk. Uh, It turned out to be basically uh, a lot of rambling by crazy fantasists who were trying to file compensation claims and stuff. And as a direct result of those two 
moral panics which resulted in histrionic media coverage for years, ridiculous media coverage and, and false, false accusations against lots of people who ended up being completely cleared. It did two things. The first thing was it, it meant that the media stopped engaging with any similar stories. Uh, so like the story I've been working on for the last four years, the, the national media will not cover it because they don't want anything to do with historic abuse scandals now because they don't want to get their fingers burned again. So that it silences genuine victims in that sense. And the other thing it did was it actually changed police policy, whereby because of the kind of the ridiculous response to these allegations, they, they held a, an independent inquiry and the, it, it produced a report called the Henriquez Report, which instructed police officers to no longer believe abuse victims when they came forward to treat them with skepticism. So when you have these fake allegations, it, it has blowback, it has repercussions, because when they're exposed as fake, it turns the tide of public opinion. Uh, and, and then that has consequences. And those consequences can only be negative for genuine victims, like the victims I've been dealing with for the last four years. They can't get police to take them seriously. They can't get national media to give them a hearing. It's all fallout from these fake allegations a couple of years ago. So I just see this as a, a continuation of that, really. This documentary, I'm not going to call it a documentary, this TV show, if it is, dis I mean, I, I hope somebody does a good job of discrediting it. But, you know, it's even even when that happens, that is going to have negative consequences for other victims. So the victory for Michael there, which is deserved, will, will still have ramifications. So it's it's just a complete mess. And um, and it's indefensible, really. It's crap. It's rubbish journalism. And it is going to blight and impede genuine abuse victims and that really fucks me off yeah yeah well said marcos i, I want to ask you something quickly as well just you know you've seen the film i i want to know like from your point of view as a filmmaker how can we as fans people on the ground how can what can we do to correct the narrative what can we do to fight this propaganda piece i think uh showing evidence because uh, what on that film, um, and I don't like even call it a film because it's not a proper film. In that show, there's only people talking and talking and talking and um, one side of the story. So, so now you as fans, um, we need to hear the other side of the story. And if you can bring some evidence in front, that's good because they don't have nothing. Seriously, you, you, when, when, you're going to freak out when you see the movie. Is three hours of two guys talking, and that's it. I could do the same. Any, anyone could do the same. There's letters, but nothing else. If you're going to say something so wrong f from a person, you need to show some evidence that what you're saying is truth. So the way to fight back to show evidence, and you're doing that already. You're convincing a lot of people with your tweets and your you know, everything, uh, those YouTube videos that I'm saying about uh, who these two people are, it's easy. Now, um, there has to be a bigger, bigger voice, and this is maybe Tash documentary. I, I would say to Tash to go to 
to Netflix or, you know, who's the, who's the other HBO Netflix? You should go to the other side of the street and get Netflix involved in these movies, in this series. I'm pretty sure that they would get on board. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, something like that. I don't, I, I don't want to give too much away, but... Yeah, 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 defi exactly. Defi yeah. Definitely, I am thinking big and bigger than HBO. Um, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Can I just ask, before we move on to our next section, Taj, I'd love to ask you something directly. Your uncle Jermaine um, gave an interview um, the other day, I think it was Good Morning Britain, and he mentioned in the interview something that sort of surprised me. I, I didn't actually know this, but he said that Wade dated two of his nieces, <laughs> meaning two of your cousins. Yeah. So yeah. Cl clearly Wade... Robson had a fairly deep relationship with your family in general beyond Michael Jackson before the you know before these allegations. Yeah. Have you or do you know of anybody else in your family that have reached out to Wade one on one to just challenge him on this? Has that happened? I don't think it's happened. It happened in the beginning, but I think it's I think he's too far deep in it now. He's kind of made his bed, and I think it it would be a, literally a waste of time, and it might be something that he would use against us, to be completely honest. Knowing him and not being able to trust anything he does and, and says, I think you ha we'd have to be careful in that way. You know, whether he yeah. recorded us saying he would, you know, they, they've proved that they will go through any means necessary to make this mm. a truth. Mm. And so... I, I don't give it, I don't put it past them to change things around, you know, change wording around and manipulate the situation. So I don't think anyone has reached out to him. I know that he's purposely avoided everyone. I actually bumped into Chantel for Christmas because uh, one of my friends is mutual friends with her. And I can tell you one thing. I said, hey, and she had her head down and she walked to her car wow. and I had no clue what why that had happened until i heard about the movie i said oh now i know why she felt shame because she knew mm -hmm. something i didn't know and she had sold herself you know in that way yeah i would definitely say we haven't reached out we did in the very beginning because i didn't believe it in the very beginning when with wade i was like no not wade the you know the, <laughs> the person that you so adamant the person that was at neverland you know and was showing you know, that presented his fiance to my uncle and showed his short film to my uncle was so excited. Like, I'm, you know, I want you to be the, one of the first people to see this that Wade. The, the like, same guy that was doing interviews, you know, for years after your your uncle passed, you yeah. know, praising him. He did the huge page in the Opus book. He he was saying how excited he was. He wanted to work on Cirque du Soleil documentary. Oh, yeah. And that was just months before yeah, yeah, the same guy that went yeah. to the memorial that, you know, was so excited when I contacted him and was so thankful that I had remembered, you know, about him going, uh, him and his family being able to go to the memorial. The same guy that basically, you know, saw the kids after Michael died, him and Joy requested to see the kids again. So this isn't something, this is, there's a lot of stuff that still hasn't come out that will come out and i can tell you this is gonna get we have to just stay positive keep trying to prove or not even prove but keep trying to to get through these ignorant people you know online i hate to say it like that but they are a lot of them are ignorant and it's sad it's a sad state that they just believe anything that they read or hear 
I have hope for a lot of people in that situation. And, and there's a lot of people that, you know, email me or they tweet me and they're like, you know, I'm not even a Michael fan, but I actually did do some research. And the more I researched, the more I realized, you know, how much he was framed and I don't believe it, you know. And so I think that's a good thing there. It, it is reaching people, you know, and I can tell you that the video, the 30 minute video on YouTube reached a lot of people. And it was very, first of all, super well done. Those kind of videos are very effective. Or the or, or, um, the razor, I forgot his name. Razor, yeah. that guy. Razor fist. Yeah, razor fist. Which I, I give a shout out to him too because that was super entertaining. First of all, that actually made me laugh a lot because I needed I needed it. I was like, you know, it was so well put together too. It was you know, it's like one was very factual and more of a this is Wade. The other one was very factual and entertaining in a way that it was like, you could sit there and watch it and be like, Oh, I didn't even realize that, you know, all this time had passed. So I think that's the thing that those kind of things are super effective because I can tell you, I sent those to a lot of my friends who in um, their defense always believed, you know, in me as well. But I wanted them to see it anyway, because I don't want a, a shadow of a doubt. You know, Macaulay Culkin's podcast that he did, Inside of You, um, that was that was very big in that way. That was one of the first things that were, was promoted in defense of Michael. I think Michael Rosenbaum for that, you know, a, a friend of mine who I really cherish his friendship and, and luckily became friends with them a year ago, <laughs> you know, which is weird how timing works. He actually saw Havenhurst. He went to the DDJF Halloween party and all that. And so he he saw the magic of Michael and he saw the in it. And I think that was the perfect thing. It just happened to be that they were doing a, a podcast at that point and this news had broke. And I think that in anyone else's hands, it probably would have been a little more devious of, of an interview. But I think, you know, it was done well. And I, I, I don't know. I just think that I do think everything happens for a reason. And I... I truly believe that, you know, this is really united the fan base, the family with the fans. And it's even united everyone, you know, in, in a way with the estate in terms of we're all on the same page on this, which has never happened. And um, I'm excited because I think this really we really can once and for all put all these stupid rumors to rest and, and not have to discuss it anymore. To the point, as we use the flat earth, when it's proven that it's round, it's like, okay, now you're the ignorant person. You know, don't talk yeah. to me anymore. And I think that's what <laughs> I'm looking forward to is like, please, did you see the, our documentary? Okay, then please don't talk to me. You know, <laughs> and that's it. That, that's, and, and, and I think that's the thing. That's, that's what this is going to do where, to the point where documentaries can do the opposite too. They, you know, the glo global warming documentary, you know. It's like there's very many documentaries that can really shine a light on the truth. You know, as much as this stupid movie is trying to destroy my uncle's legacy, I feel that it's also given us the wings and the strength to counter it. It's brought people out of the woodworks that I probably never would have been able to interview because they would have felt there's no need to. And now they're willing to be interviewed you know, for Michael and for the fans and for the family. And so in a way, this is going to be even bigger than what their little, you know, mockumentary is. 
Mm. We're so happy to hear that, Taj, and we are going to do all that we can to get the word out and to help contribute to that and to correct this narrative once again. Folks, we're going to move into the final part of this episode where we're going to just have a bit of talk about how fans can correct that narrative, how they can amplify the correct voices and get the actual facts and evidence out and also support each other in this time. So, Marcos, I know that it's really late at night. You've got an award show that you're going to, um, yes. which we wish you all the best with. Yes, and we, yes. We, thank yes. you very much. And we thank cannot wait much. to learn more about your Bruce Swedean documentary. So I think yeah. you're going to be hearing from Marcos again in the future, mm-hmm. folks. So, okay. Taj, if you need to head out because you've got a, a lot on your plate and you've got yeah. a, a young family as well, then we're quite happy to wrap this up for you and, and then we can just carry on. Cool. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I actually have another interview. I'm actually doing a Brazilian interview in a couple of hours as well. Excellent. So I'm trying to do more international ones. If you notice, I haven't done any American ones yet. But, um, you know, I did the Australian one today, which went really Ooh. well. Um, Who was that I, with, we actually, um, Sunrise. Uh, oh, wow. Great, great. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's Sydney. Um, that actually went really well. They were so pleasant. I, I know that the fam base globally, you know, that my uncle had, and that's why I've basically been doing a lot of international interviews as opposed to domestic interviews because, you know, I know how much he was loved there and how, how much they're more open to thinking for themselves. I hate to say that and, you know, throw my country under the bus, but at the same time, we, we aren't you know, free thinkers and in in a way, and I'm probably sure everyone thinks in their country the same, but there's something about our reality TV based mindset here in the States <laughs> that they just, anything they read or see, they just believe, you know, and even with our show, that was not always a hundred percent real. They believed everything and I'm not mm. even a good actor. <laughs> when you talk about reality TV, Taj, in America, President yeah. Trump is a reality oh, TV star. I was gonna, uh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, ex- ex- exactly my point. And that's the thing. And I think with, you know, and with a 40% rating. And I think that was the thing for me when I was like, I, I used to be, I used to want to prove everyone and be like, hey, why can't you guys see the truth about my uncle? Why can't you see that he's innocent? But then I realized, you know, when I see poll numbers of like 40% of this or 40% of that, I'm like, I'm like, I, I I assume I'm just not going to reach certain people, and I'm good with that now. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, that's yeah, the exactly. thing. That's my growth. Well, I think this is an amazing time to thank you so much, Taj. And again, listeners, please go and support the GoFundMe. We will have links. Head over to Taj's social media. There's links over there, pinned tweets and posts, and. Be sure to share it. Get the word out about this GoFundMe. Thank you, Taj, for your time. We really appreciate it, and we'll keep the good fight going. Uh, thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you, guys, for everything, and and to the fans out there. You know, as I said, be proud. You know, we know the truth, and we're going to get the truth out there. Facts and evidence. Facts yep. and evidence. That's what we've got. They've got. That's what we got on our side. Thank you, Taj. And Marcos, thank you so much for staying up late for us. We do wish you well for the the award you've been nominated for at the Film Awards in Seville in Spain. And we really appreciate your insight, especially as a filmmaker that you've been able to bring to the table. It's been really, really rewarding. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. 
Hey, Samar, thank you and Charlie for being here so late. And Samar, especially for a last minute, like this was like half an hour before we recorded, I asked you. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, honestly, I saw the heavyweights on the show and I thought, I'm so wound up with so much kind of tension because we're just being bombarded with stupidity and just having to mm. deal with stupidity on a daily basis. And the thing is, I put out a tweet the other day and I said, listen to people on Twitter that anyone who's going to believe these these bogus allegations understand that I will delete you. It doesn't matter how close we are. <laughs> You're it gone. doesn't matter if we're friends, family, <laughs> you are out of it because it's they're so preposterous. It's the, it, like the conversation I had on the radio earlier, the lady referred to the uh, accusers as incredibly credible and everything you know about the allegations and the timings and the 25, 30 years of defending Michael Jackson only to then turn around years after he's been killed for a massive civil suit payout, accuse him of things that he can't defend himself against. It's the complete antithesis of a credible accusation. And for us to be bombarded with that, I joked with Taj about it. And like I said, I am actually older than Taj. But back in 1993, we've been through it all before. And you, how many, you know, the car was found not guilty 14 times. He, ha- he was investigated by the biggest, most powerful intelligence agencies in the world, right? Like, you know, listening to your telephone calls, having your telephone calls recorded. You your know, hard drive ev- searched, computer searched, your hard drive searched, video library searched. To pieces, having yeah. your photo, having your paintings ripped to shreds, having your saves, saves gone through. I mean, he'd have to be Batman to have got away with what he allegedly got away with. It's such so nonsensical. And then to put someone who he'd apparently been abusing viciously and aggressively as your first witness against prosecution lawyers who are 10, 15, 20 years of experience of prosecuting cases and putting yourself under that scrutiny and being one of the strongest witnesses for the defense and the first witness for the defense. It's preposterous. I mean, it's so, honestly, there's a part of me that looks at what's happened and thinks, are they doing it deliberately to be as preposterous as possible so that people will not believe them? I think there's a definitely an element of shock and awe. And yeah. I think hearing that firsthand, like the viewer perspective of the actual film, that is that is their ammunition. It is shock and awe. They just like lull everyone into the false sense of security and believability, and then shock them all. And like you mentioned earlier, Samar, we've been to this 1993, and then from 2003 yeah. to 2005. I think now it is a very different environment. Social media is a juggernaut now, and it is got mm. its positives and it's got its definite negatives. So it's a different way for the community to cope with this. How did we cope then compared to how we're sort of coping now? Honestly, I didn't cope in in 2003 to 5. Like, I wasn't a fan in 1993 at all. I knew about Michael Jackson, but I was still very young at that point. Um, Q, I think you were, you know, you were becoming a fan in the dangerous era. But for me, 
uh, I became a fan in 2001. So I experienced one proper Michael Jackson album launch with Invincible. And then two years later, everything went downhill. My, my hero at the time, Michael, who I adored, I was seeing in handcuffs on the news. I was seeing, you know, hundreds of police cars at his house raiding Neverland. I saw his principal lawyer, Mark Garagos, leave his defense team. I honestly, and I have to put my hand up here and say, as a newer fan who wasn't as educated with all the GQ articles and stuff, I actually really did think, you know, hang on, is my hero a pedophile here? It took me until the trial started happening and seeing the evidence that, oh my God, you know. I felt like at that time I was on trial along with Michael Jackson because everybody I was talking to, my friends, my family, everyone talking to me, it was just nonstop. You know, why do you like a pedophile? You know, he was on the front page of newspapers everywhere. Like Samar said earlier in the show, limited amount of TV stations. There was no Twitter. Everybody, the media had just such saturation because everybody was watching the same news outlets. So for me personally, and I know this is different for everybody, I don't follow a lot of people on social media, unlike some other, you know, Q, I know you you probably see a lot more on the MJ cast Twitter. You're very engaged on that. I only follow a select few people on my personal Twitter. So for me, this time around, even though it's horrible and I know the playing ground's different, personally for me as a fan, it in my day-to-day life, it doesn't doesn't feel quite as intense. I haven't had any family. I haven't had any friends, anyone come to me and say anything about this documentary. Whereas those two years from 2003 to 2005, it was nonstop onslaught. So myself personally, I'm, you know, coping then. What did I do? I coped by, you know, I had a couple of friends that I would talk to. You know, I would just sort of talk with them on the phone about it and learn the evidence on forums. Forums were a big deal for me then and and reaching out to other people. Yeah, that's how I coped, I guess, making connections with other Michael Jackson fans at the time. Yeah, I mean, back in 93, it was easier to... The weird thing was I was going to university at the time, so I was going through a different phase in my fandom. I wasn't as intensively a Michael Jackson fan, but oddly, those kind of things always bring you back in uh, because you feel compelled to speak up for the guy in his defense because you've he's given you as a person so much that you feel compelled in an odd way that you almost not owe him or anything, but you know so much about a particular topic and that it wouldn't be fair for you not to use that knowledge and information to help educate people. Hence, that's why I'm so pissed off with the journalist fraternity now, deliberately withholding massively relevant information for, you know, a skewed presentation of the, uh, of the facts so back in 1993, I was going to university and the only time I'd ever really hear about things would be, you know, when people would say something to me at university about it. But that was few and far between. That didn't happen so much. Much more in 2003 to 2005 because of the Bashir documentary and then the fallout of that. But then even leading up to the trial, the timeline of the allegations were so ridiculous that it was so easily disproved or easily kind of argued against, you know. The Martin Bashir documentary was, what, 2003? And then in order to not be found to perjure themselves, the RVs had to claim that in between, in between that going live to the world, and it was scandalous. It was on the front page of newspapers all over the world. Only after that 
Michael Jackson abused Gavin Arvisa. And it, the timeline was so ridiculous that you'd have to be stupid to believe it because apparently in this massive fallout, while the whole of you know Michael's world was crumbling around him and he was panicking, in order for them to avoid being perjuring themselves, they had to uh, they had to accuse him of abusing Gavin after it had been televised. And then you, when you ta- when you talk to people about that and you ask them, what do you think? Do you think that's do you think that's uh, credible? Do you, is that believable to you? No one will ever say, yeah, that's credible. They will always think that's really ridiculous and it's incredible that I actually went to trial. The problem now is like with the allegations now, which are old allegations, about four or five years old, these allegations, which are completely uncorroborated. There's no evidence to back any of this information up. And all of the journalists are just repeating verbatim what the accusers are saying. And as I, as I tweeted on Twitter the other day, I said, a lie is still a lie, even if Oprah Winfrey repeats it. It doesn't matter who repeats a lie, it will still be a lie. It doesn't make it any more true. You know, so for people to say, oh, but they're, they're so convincing. Well, they would be, wouldn't they? Because they've just filed a court case. Oh, Dan Reed, you know, he's, he's really convinced. Well, he would be, wouldn't he? Because he's made a documentary, <laughs> you know. If he, if he was so convincing, get Thomas Mesro on the documentary. Get the, uh, get the witnesses for the defense on the, uh, on the documentary. Get Taj to talk about Wade and Jimmy Savechuck. Get other people, get Brett Barnes on there, if you're actually interested in the allegations. Dan Reed isn't, and he said he wasn't. He said he's only interested in the story of these two families. That's very true. Now, let's, Samal, let's go back to 2003 to 2005, because we, you know, our show has a lot of fans of Michael Jackson that aren't necessarily on social media or they're newer fans or younger fans. So how in those two years did you personally, as a, you know, a, a fan yourself, how did you cope? Well, you know, I'd been up until then, I was a fan for about 20 years. So I was, I'd hate to say infatuate. I'm not, it's not an infatuation. I was just really, really interested in Michael Jackson as a historical figure and, you know, the life of life and times of Michael Jackson. I was very interested in him as a person and him as a cultural icon. So I would read everything. I was a much more uh, voracious reader than I am now. I, I used to read everything back then. And there were websites. I think Smoking Gun was uh, one of the big websites where all of the documents, all of the legal information was being po- posted all of the time, leaked intentionally or unintentionally, God knows. But, you know, I, we were aware of the legal shenanigans that were happening up until the trial, you know, all the the leak of the settlement. There was another leak of some testimony, I believe, of grand jury transcripts were leaked. And then I think Michael was allowed to give a two-minute interview on as part of his Geraldo interview. He, he was he was allowed to give a two-minute statement to the camera uh, in response to that and to you know talk about his rights as a as a citizen of america to be presumed innocent and so being informed was very helpful being informed of the actual facts i mean as a fan of a musician i know way too much about libel laws <laughs> i know way too much about legalities and the law and you know about grand juries and how they get you know and how uh, witnesses are allowed to testify and what defense lawyers are allowed to ask because of all the stuff we've had to we've had to learn on the fly with Michael Jackson keeping yourself informed is very useful keeping yourself informed of actual facts is very important there was a documentary that came on tv about 
I think it might have been while Michael was alive. Charlie will probably correct me. It was, I think it was called Michael. There was a couple. It was the Jack Peretti ones. And there was one that was called Michael Jackson's Boys, which was a horrendous uh, documentary. I mean, it was blatant one-sided propaganda. And I remember watching it, and I watched it with my wife, and we watched it. And at the end of it, she turned to me, she said, that's really bad, isn't it? <laughs> and I looked at it and I thought, well, it would be until you find out who these people are who are talking. <laughs> like Victor <laughs> Gutierrez is one of the guys who's interviewed in a car and, you know, Diane Diamond's interviewed. And it's like all these, all the kind of shadiest characters of the Michael Jackson story are, are interviewed on there. And I mean, there's even a scene where Jack Peretti is, he, he, he talks about this long lost home video film that Michael had, <laughs> Michael had made yeah. and it's ghosts, right? But the way it's presented <laughs> in the documentary is really grainy footage and it looks really old and it looks like it's on a VHS. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, this, is, this was premiered at Cannes. This, is like a, this was filmed on actual film. This is an actual short film that he released. And, but the way he presented it was, you know, we stumbled across this mysterious footage. <laughs> and it's so misleading and so just un it's unbelievable to watch that kind of stuff. And then, you know, like, like I said, my wife, who knows how I feel about all of these things and knows how, how much I know about all those things, she still turned to me and she said, that's really bad, isn't it? And I thought, man, that's, that's really scary because, you know, there are households who will not have any information about Michael Jackson who will watch that and will just believe every single thing and think Victor Gutierrez is a very credible uh, witness who just happens to sit in dark cars at late at night on Hollywood <laughs> Boulevard. You exactly, know? <laughs> exactly. Well said. Now, Charlie, um, I want to take you back to 2003 to 2005. Like I said, we got younger fans who listen to this show that, and I, and I want them to hear from you at that time when, when we were going through a similar thing to what's happening now, what, what did you do? How did you get through that time? November 2003, I was um, 15 and was in secondary school. That was devastating because at school, it was not cool when I was a kid to be a Michael Jackson fan because we already had had so much bullshit like the, uh, the baby dangling scandal and then um, the Bashir documentary. So everybody in the school knew if you were a Michael Jackson fan, it made you somewhat of an object of ridicule. And then the the ranch got raided. We as fans didn't really know what was going on at that point. It was very hard to answer people. You just had people constantly taking the piss or coming up and asking you questions and going, you, you know, coming to you as the Michael Jackson guy at the school and asking you stuff. And... Um, I found it extremely depressing and also uh, quite stressful. And um, I had this like permanent feeling of like doom, you know, like my stomach was just constantly like I was going over the edge of a roller coaster. It, it felt awful. And so what I did was I took a step back throughout uh, most of 2004. Uh, I just did not engage with the fan community at all and I thought let's just see what happens and then I came back to the community in January 2005 when the court hearings started happening and, and I can't remember exactly how the transcripts were making their way online but I can only imagine it was uh, 
collective of fans who were, you know, sort of collecting donations and, and paying the, the court reports or something. But somehow, every day online, you would get access to yesterday's transcript. I was on a forum at the time called KOP, King of Pop Forum. And so I was going on there every day and, and reading the transcripts. And, uh, you know, it wasn't long into the trial before you started going, hang on a minute, this is all fucking bullshit. So I started to feel better once the trial got underway. Of course, verdict day was very, very uh, nerve-wracking. Oh. Um, but uh, so that was how I coped, really, was I just took a break and then yeah. um, came back and and we're just analyzing the evidence on a daily basis. And that's interesting you say that because, um, you know, there there are people that take a step back and there are people that need to remove themselves from the community for a while. It's not necessarily that those people um, think Michael's guilty or are like, whoa, I'm out, see you later, <laughs> have fun. It's because this can feel so overwhelming mentally to process all of this negativity and hate that sometimes you do need to just remove reset, research, remember those facts and then come back to it fresh. So I think that's actually a really good perspective. Just, you know, as we're watching, you know, these online, we're on Twitter, we're seeing these prominent people in the community. If they are taking a little break and they're being a bit quiet, doesn't necessarily mean they're throwing the towel in. So that's that's really good thoughts there, Charlie. Thank you. Now, Q, um, I want to take you back. You know, you were a fan even in 93. You became a fan in the Dangerous Era. I don't know whether you were too young of a fan at that point to, to, to know everything that was going on there, but can you talk to us about how you coped through the allegations? I remember when the 93 allegations first broke. My mum had read a small piece because at the start it was just a very small piece in, a, in the paper about what was starting to happen. And she said, oh, there's something in the paper today and I just want you to know that, you know, just because it's in the paper, you know, it doesn't mean that it is true and that you shouldn't always believe what you read. You know, you should research and stuff when more information becomes available. And I always remember that. So there was 93. I was in early high school, I think I was. It was not fun. It was not great. But back then, the same as in the 2000s, I think that when there was information, uh, and back then it was really what was just reported in the paper, and I think the media back then in the 90s was a bit more balanced. There was the hard copies. There was the, the tabloid media TV and magazines. There was that. But then there was the media that was respected. Journalists yeah. were real journalists and and did their job and presented both sides of the the stories and facts and evidence and it was with that in the 90s that I could go to school and say well yeah sure that's been said but the reality is have you heard the phone calls that were recorded exactly. where you know money was demanded and and this is clearly an extortion attempt that has just gotten way out of hand Obviously, since then, it's been a lot easier to access information. In the 2000s, when this the 2003-2005 thing started, so before the trial, when it was just the charges and, and I guess the arrest and the media was not quite as balanced and it was a bit harder 
to sort of for them to show both sides. I was doing things like I made T-shirts, which had like in like the top secret font across uh, made out of a stencil. (laughs) I had it saying Jackson Innocent. And I would wear that in my lunch breaks at work when I was walking through the shopping mall to go and get lunch. I would Mm -hmm. wear that on the weekend. I would wear that when I went out. And if people could like stopped and asked me, and I don't remember if that happened or not, I would be able to talk to them about it. I organized, not very successfully, but I did organize a march for fans in Perth where I lived. It was meeting. It was a, it was 25th of January. I'm guessing this was maybe 2004. I'm guessing if it was that early in the year. I organized a march. I got a police permit. I went and filled all wow. the paperwork out, organized a march. I did get interviewed by one radio station, thankfully, because that let like two people know about it. That that came <laughs> along. <laughs> I had some banners. I had fact sheets wow. that we could hand out. And I've actually got a picture of it here. I found it when I moved house. And it's a fact sheet called, it's just one A4 page, the truth behind Michael Jackson allegations. I've got myth, fact, myth, fact. Mm-hmm at the top and then I've got information on the new accusers and it's got a little bit about the accuser in this and then I've got information on the investigator and there's a couple of paragraphs about Tom Snedden and that is how I fought back then. Sure, it wasn't a huge march with like 60 people. There was literally just a handful of us. Mm. It did actually get me, you know, in the front inside cover of the paper, how there's always like a cartoonist that does like a political cartoon There was also in our state at that time a big discussion about stamp duty tax and stuff like that. My little march was the basis of a political cartoon where there's one lone politician holding a sign saying stamp duty support march. That was sort of making fun of me being the one solo Michael Jackson fan, you know, almost doing this Michael Jackson support march. So I even made the inside cover of a political cartoon, which I was, I had thought I'd lost. So I was really happy I found that again. (laughs) So back then that's what I did. And I think I can see echoes of that now. And I think it is essential that fans look at this from a common sense perspective and see how they Uh, presenting their film with no evidence and no facts because they don't have any. Sure, it's making a horrendous splash, a tsunami of negativity that is going to be – this is literally 2% people. Like when this is released worldwide, that is when it's going to be the full force of this. But we have facts. We have evidence. We have so much information we have access to now. And that is what we need to present. And I don't want to be the fan that says you people out there doing this are doing it wrong. But I think there are more effective ways for people out there to correct the narrative. These people can be discredited. They can be discredited. And that will be a very essential aspect of this. We can discredit them because they are not credible. We can present facts and evidence. I can share a link right now to decades of files that the FBI had on Michael Jackson through their investigation. We didn't have that back then. We've got that now. And what is in those files? Everything shows they found nothing. And they 
like Samar said, they searched everything. If there is a criminal that can hide evidence that deeply from the FBI, what the hell? What kind of person is that? <laughs> yeah, okay? we're, fi- we're, we're finding now that you know there are very senior politicians in America who are falling foul of the FBI and the Secret Services. Yep. So, um, you know, the, the, uh, the notion that Michael Jackson was the most famous man in the world could somehow, I mean, could somehow avoid uh, 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 triggering any sort of, you know, evidence or anything. Bear in mind, the first time they raided his house, he wasn't even in the country. So, you know, it was so well-timed and planned that they could have, they had access to everything while he wasn't there and while, you know, they were able to flout the law and, you know, look in parts of his house that they weren't allowed to look into and found nothing and found nothing that a jury would convict him on. Yeah. Nothing. So, yeah, it's very important. It, 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 what you say is very true. When the documentary hits, it's going to, it's going to hit. And we've just got to prepare ourselves for that. But facts are important. Facts are very important. <laughs> so how do we prepare ourselves for that? You've got to understand, you have to have the mindset, it's going to hurt and it's going to hit us and it's going to be damaging. Simple. You've got to accept that. I mean, Taj, you know, how the hell he is stays good-natured, I have no idea because I'm really upset about it. But he has, he's got, you know, he's got like a... Remember Batfink, the cartoon Batfink, the wings like a shield yep. of steel and everything everything just falls off him. And it's like, how do you remain good humored and kind of calm and reserved when I'm, fu- I'm furious? I know Charles has been, Charlie's been furious. And I know other fans are very upset about the whole thing. But what he said is quite interesting. He said, this will bring attention to the allegations. And what that means is when it comes to countering those allegations, when it comes to talking about facts and evidence, there will be a heightened interest. People will be more interested in listening. So we've got to count on that. We've got to hope for that. But you've got to accept that it's going to be damaging in the short term. We need to accept that we can present all the facts and evidence. Some people won't listen. And then, you know what, move on. Because there are other people that will listen. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, uh, you've seen it today on my Twitter feed when I challenged a quote journalist quote to kind of defend her article online she didn't respond and just subtweeted me you know mockingly subtweeted me but wouldn't respond to any of the questions i asked and i was perfectly polite because they they can't defend those positions and that's going to be a problem going forward for them so we've got to bear that in mind as well i think in that scenario and i've done it a few times i'm trying not to engage in a lot of those people but when i have I've actually just gone in because they're public profile and any reply that a person replies on Twitter that is a public profile will be seen by anyone looking at those replies and comments. So I've just gone in and I've just dropped in links. Here you go. Here's the FBI files. Here's the court transcripts. Whatever links I had that was pertinent to whatever they were saying, I've just dropped them in there and left it because then anyone that actually goes in can actually go, oh, hang on a minute. And some of those replies are actually getting a bit of traction. They're getting a lot of shares and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's one way if they're, if they're going to just be like what you said, that that lady didn't subtweet you and not take you seriously, then you know what? You can just leave that on her doorstep and anyone walking past that exactly. doorstep is still going to see it. Exactly. And also it works in our favor. If she blocks me, it just kind of highlights even further <laughs> the hypocrisy. 
But yeah. also, I, I, sh- I should say one thing that I really wish Michael Jackson fans on social media, who are genuine fans, who are actual fans, and there are plenty who have been tweeting me this week, really intelligent, articulate arguments, but with Peter Pan as their avatars, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. at, at King of Pop, King of Pop, Peter Pan lookalike or something, 99 or something, as their handle. We We need to present ourselves as intelligent sentient yes. human beings as opposed yeah. to you know sycophants and caricatures yeah. which is what we're what we get portrayed as and hence it was difficult for marina hyde to respond to me because i'm a professional she is conceived my name she knows who i am i'm I've, i communicate with real human beings on twitter and have worked on major michael jackson projects um it wasn't easy for her. And then that, you know, it wasn't easy for her to come back to me because I wasn't the caricature that she was trying to describe me as. So it's very important. I think for Michael Jackson fans, if they want to kind of have the courage of the, their convictions to put their face and name to their views, because otherwise no one's going to take them seriously. That yeah. is such yeah. a good point. Samar. Point. Thank you so much. And Charles, I, re- I don't know, um, but maybe if I bring this up, you might have a comment. Yeah. You can make it, keep it short if you need, but back in the, I'm going to say like fifties, uh, forties and fifties <laughs> when people were, no, no, not Charles's first hand experience. Oh, it's a hist- I, it's historical question. Jamin, Jamin, <laughs> wait for the context, wait for the context. Back in the forties and fifties when civil rights was a, a sort of a starting out, especially, you know, black civil rights and, and later on maybe um, gay civil rights and things like that. Protesting back then, people dressed in their finest, they had signs, mm. but they weren't hysterical signs. They weren't alarmists and things like that. They were fact-based signs pointing out civil rights, the, the what needed to be fixed and how it could be fixed. And people had to take them seriously. Women's rights, when that was starting out, people were wearing their, their finest clothes, their professional attire, and they would protest in that in a professional way. Charles, can you sort of maybe, you know, I know that you're quite a bit of a history buff. That would benefit us now, wouldn't it? Oh, for sure. I mean, to, be, to present ourselves, as Sam says, as professionals, as, as uh, intelligent people whose entire lives do not revolve around Michael Jackson is quite important. I think that's why none of these motherfuckers will engage with me. Because if you look at my uh, uh, Twitter bio, it's just a list of journalism awards. <laughs> I think I think that's my Twitter bio. They can't argue with me. So I, it's Marina Hyde and all these people, I, I'll tweet them all day long. I don't give a shit because they can't, they will not engage with me because they know they can't win. And I think it's important for fans to follow that model. You know, do not have a picture of Michael, particularly the ones that had like the t- Twitter picture. <laughs> it's like Michael and, this is it. and, and yep. a kid, you know what I mean? Like Michael on a roller coaster with a kid or something. And their name is like Neverland girl seven, nine, six or something. And you just got golf, golf, golf like, pants lover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was Karen Faye's name on or something. <laughs> like, there's um, a time and a place for that, and this isn't the time. <laughs> no, no, and you need to. Um, the other thing is, a lot, a lot of fans make bad arguments, you know. And and I spoke about this a little bit in um, 
Pirates in Neverland, the Reason Bound, Simulcast, they will make arguments like Michael gave blah blah to charity. Michael gave five hundred million to charity, and you want to call him a child molester? Well, mm-hmm. Jimmy Savile gave a lot of money to charity. Giving money to charity does not mean that you're innocent. You know, so so you need to make a, a strong factual argument which is pertinent to the the matter at hand, which bleating on about Michael's charity work is is of no relevance or importance. Mm-hmm. If you want to know who Michael is, just listen to Heal the World. I mean, you know all that bullshit. <laughs> it's just a waste of time. You need to know the facts now. And what's important as well to keep in mind on this issue is you cannot prove a negative. We cannot prove that Michael did not molest uh, Wade Robson and Jimmy Savechuck because it's very difficult to prove any negative. If so, if, so I can prove a positive. So if somebody says to me, you've never been to the Grand Canyon, and I say, yes, I have, then I can produce a photograph of myself at the Grand Canyon and say, there you go. If mm-hmm. if I'm trying to prove that I've not been to the Grand Canyon, how do I do that? I could <laughs> I could not show somebody a photograph of me at the Grand Canyon, but that doesn't mean anything. So, you know, we're, we're trying to. There's no point trying to prove. We cannot prove, and we must not say that we can prove that uh, that that these claims are false because that would be bogus. So what we have to do is. Um, we have to shift the onus, the burden of proof, back onto the people that are making the claim. You know, if you're making an extraordinary claim, then you have to bring evidence. And and what we need to be pummeling people with is when you watch this film, every single time one of these guys makes an allegation, the viewer needs to be asking themselves, what evidence is being presented to me here? which corroborates mm-hmm. this story. And if no evidence is being presented, you can't accept that, particularly when you know that these guys admit to have, well, you know, so Wade, he, he said in one court case in 2005 that Michael did not abuse him. And then he says in his own court case from 2013 onwards, that Michael did abuse him. So he's told two different stories under oath. It, even if you are minded to believe that Michael is guilty, you have to acknowledge that he's told two contradictory stories under oath, and that only one of those stories can be true, which means he is a perjurer. It doesn't matter which version of the story you believe, whichever version of the story you believe, he is a perjurer. And, and then you have to ask somebody... Are you prepared to stake your belief on the word of somebody that you know is a liar and a perjurer? You know, because if if somebody's answer to that question is yes, then they're a fucking idiot. So <laughs> there's no point in even engaging with that person. You know, you have to uh, take a very rational, fact-based and, and, and logic-based approach to dealing with these people. You can't just keep ranting on about Michael gave hundreds of millions of pounds to whatever. You, you, you need to get into the nitty-gritty uh, and also be aware of what what you can prove and what you can't prove and where the burden is for the other side. You know, if, you, if you're going to tell me that, that these guys are credible, 
you need to explain to me why they're credible and saying, well, their stories are graphic. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't, <laughs> a graphic story is not necessarily a, a credible story. You know, there's a, a, a long, long history of fake child abuse allegations, which were very, very detailed and, and graphic, which I could list if you wanted me to. You know, it happens all the time. People make detailed fake allegations all the time. So saying it was graphic and detailed, again, isn't is not a good argument. So you need to be able to recognize good and bad arguments and and know what questions to ask. Thank you so much, Charles. Oh, that's why I ask you these questions. I'm sorry to put your voice through that. <laughs> I'm assuming there'll be a hashtag for the for the episodes when they're on either Channel 4 or HBO in America. And we have to we have to take over that hashtag. We have to take over that hashtag with facts and evidence. And we have to kind of, if it's possible, to live tweet, live tweet. But that hashtag has to be ours. And the truth has to be has to be exposed. Anytime they say anything in particular about, you know, Wade will say, well, I didn't know what abuse was. Okay, that's that's one argument. You weren't just asked whether you were abused. You were asked whether you were touched in a particular place. You, you didn't know what your leg was. You didn't know what your backside was. You didn't know where your head was. You know, did Michael touch 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 your leg? I didn't know what my leg was. He's not going to be able to say that. So if he says, oh, I wasn't aware of what abuse was, well, that's not what he was asked in court. And also, while Tom Mesro was asking him, did Michael touch your hair? Did Michael touch you there? Did Michael touch you there? Has anyone influenced you to, uh, uh, to answer in these particular ways? And he said, no, no one has influenced me. And he said that under oath, all of that has to be on that hashtag so that everyone can read it. And I'm sure Channel 4, they'll, they'll like the promotion, but ultimately the truth will have to come out, and that's how it will come out. Right. That hashtag statement is such a good point. I've been in discussion with some people about hashtags, and they're like, oh, we can't amplify their hashtag because that will give them more publicity. And I'm like, that's not the aim of using that hashtag. That use of the hashtag is to put awareness out there of reality. You can piggyback on it and then, like you said, Absolutely. take it over. You have to – what we need to do is use their own words against them because that's all yeah. they've got. <laughs> but also, I mean, it's their word. You know, people are online saying, well, it's their word against Michael's word. It's not their word against Michael's word. It's their word against their word under oath. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's their word for $1.6 billion versus their word under oath for nothing, for no financial motive, no financial gain. It's not well, just their what, word against Michael Jackson. That was what made me laugh when you were on the BBC earlier and that silly cow was saying, um, <laughs> uh, we have to believe victims. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Uh, <laughs> do, why are you, how are you picking and choosing when to believe them. Why do you believe them now, but you don't believe them in 2005? You know, it's all very well saying believe the victims, but we do believe the victims. We just believe them 15 years ago rather than well, today. Yeah. You know, when there was no motive. And choosing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and to say they're incredibly credible. Oh, yeah, they're, they're more credible now. They're looking for $1.6 billion than they, uh, than they were when they were testifying for, for no money of their own volition. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So even this, like, believe the victims bullshit, it, it just doesn't even make any sense. You, you're picking and choosing which version 
of of them you believe. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just nuts. You've got people saying believe that you've, we've got to believe them. Well, you know, it's fucking ludicrous. They're telling multiple contradictory <laughs> stories. I mean, even within the context of their own lawsuit, like Wade's timeline has changed mm-hmm. so many times. Which version are you believing? You know, and it doesn't match safe chucks either. No. Like they actually, his stories, all 12 different stories Wade's told, completely contradict safe chuck stories. So nothing matches at all. Yeah, if I if I believe Wade, if that's my instruction, I am to believe Wade Robson. Well, I'm cu- that means I'm currently believing multiple contradictory versions of the same story. So how am I deciding which version I believe? It's, it's all just a nonsense, this whole we must believe them. That's the really damaging thing is the context in which this is happening compared to previous cases in terms of 93 and 2005 they did not happen within the context of me too and times up that's really really damaging because we do have right now we have a huge movement towards ignoring the burden of proof ignoring the presumption of innocence and simply assuming that any allegation against anyone is true and in fact anybody who speaks out anybody who says well where's the evidence immediately is like you're a victim blamer you're um you're a pedophile apologist you're mm-hmm. uh whatever you know some other bullshit what the gaslighting you're gaslighting mm-hmm. the victim you know blah 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 so it's, it's a really um ugly era that we're living through where is it is just about demanding scalps and we've seen it with with me too where, uh, who's that guy that was in gossip girl ed westwick oh the british actor uh, yeah he um mm. he lost multiple jobs and he was completely cleared and there's been no apology that the me too movement i'm sure would still insist that he must have done it we see this time and again. We saw it with Utree in the UK, uh, where people mm. lost work, and there was that guy that was in the bill uh, who was completely cleared. And and, he, and even in that case, even the judge said, which was disgusting, and the judge should have been removed from post, really. But after the verdict came in and he was cleared, the judge said from the bench, "You've been declared not guilty, but that doesn't mean you didn't do it," which is just outrageous. <laughs> So it's a terrible climate that we're living through. People are going to be a lot more inclined to believe these these allegations than they would yeah. have been in previous years. So we've got a massive <clears throat> job ahead of us. And I think another thing we need to do is just make sure that fans are prepared for how bad this is going to be. Because I really think this is going to be worse than 93. It's going to be worse mm. than 2005. If this, this is going to be emotionally... Is going to be more like June 25th, 2009. And in fact, I, I got a text message from a, a fan friend the other day who said, I feel like Michael's just died all over again. This is going to be absolutely devastating. So fans need to, they, they do need to um, do whatever they can to mentally prepare themselves and also to ensure that they have a, a support network in place because this is going to be really, really tough. Is going to be the hardest battle we've ever fought as a community. So, you know, people need to, to gear themselves up. And, and I think there are going to be people that are not going to be able to handle it. And they need to, to sort out some support. 
every one of us in our daily lives will have people that talk to us and say, yeah, why, do you, why do you support a pedophile? Or, you know, don't you think Michael's a pedophile? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we face that. We face mm-hmm. that. So I want to ask a couple of you now, and we do have time limits, so we probably can't go around the whole table here, but I want to ask, you know, in specifically, we'll start with, with um, Q. These are tips, I guess, for fans listening out there. Someone came up to you, Q, and said, why don't you trust Wade Robson? You know, Michael was clearly a pedophile. Have you seen the new documentary that just came out? What would you say to them in a, in a succinct way? What are some points you'd raise for them? First up, I would say, why would you think I would support someone that did that to a child? What are you saying about me mm-hmm. that I could support someone that did such a disgusting and heinous crime against a, a defenseless child? Because first up, I'm just really would be offended that you would think I'm the type of person that could condone such behavior. I'd put that back on them. And I reckon at that point, they'd be a bit shocked because they wouldn't have thought about that because they think we're just blindly supporting him as fans and lover of his music, his videos and his dancing. And I'm saying now, if there was evidence, which there isn't, if there was evidence of a crime committed like this, I wouldn't be here. I would not be doing this because why would I? Why would I support a person that would do something like that? Then after that, I would just point out, like, this guy is unreliable. His story has changed every couple of months it's changed, you know, and the backstory about just Robson specifics for now, you know, after his career crumbled, he had nervous breakdown, he lost the job directing a step-up film sequel, you know, he didn't get the Cirque du Soleil job, he then started the allegations and shopped a book around, no publishers picked up the book, which was different, even stories, the timeline and everything in that book proposal was completely different. After 2012, you know, second nervous breakdown and a book deal didn't happen. Then he filed a probate case and Charles, correct me if I'm mistaken in these, 2013, he filed a probate case that was dismissed in May 2015. And then Robson, Safechuck and a female filed a civil lawsuit parallel to the probate case. The female's case was dismissed very early on. And then Safechuck and Robson's cases were dismissed in 2017. They were dismissed. And then, just to bring in Safe Chuck, his stories are based on a book by Victor Gutierrez, who lost a slander suit against Michael for millions in 1998. His stories don't even match with Robson's. Also, why would a person that's committing these crimes then bring someone that he's been raping and abusing for years, many, many years, Why would he then let that person be the lead witness in a trial against him for those exact crimes? How absurd would you have to be to do something like that? He supported Michael under oath in that trial. And like Samar mentioned, the questioning was not generic questioning. They were very, very specific, clear questions that he answered very matter-of-factly, very clearly just stated as the questions were asked, he answered them all. And 
that was all under oath. So well said. Well what said. have you got next? <laughs> Let's zoom out of, you know, the Wade Robson and Jimmy Safe Chuck thing specifically here. And and I want to ask you, Samar, to start with. Like, what if somebody came up to you on the street and said, do you reckon Michael Jackson's a pedophile in general? What, how would you respond to them in a succinct way? Well, honestly, I had this conversation this morning with Charlie over WhatsApp after getting subtweeted by a, a journalist for The Guardian. And I said to him, this is quite concerning, you know, because there are people who are who hadn't tweeted me directly, but are saying to other MJ fans, why are you defending a pedophile? And I said to Charlie, I said, this is really ugly because if that is the pervasive narrative that, like, uh, like the Jimmy Savile situation where no one wants to touch him now, and we are those fans who are <laughs> supporting him online, that's quite worrying. We've got jobs, we've got families, we've got kids, we've got, you know, uh, lives, and w- this has the potential to kind of tar us with all all with the similar similar brush as you know apologists what we have to understand is look these allegations what these allegations mean and what the kind of narrative that is being painted means is that janet jackson who's one of the biggest celebrities in the world has to be an apologist for pedophilia who believes that is anyone going to believe that we have to believe that you know, all of the Jackson family are somehow involved in defending paedophilia. No one's going to believe that. That's not possible. And that's no one's going to believe that as a truth. We've got to believe that kids who grew up with Michael for years and years and years, Taj, Brandy, TJ, Brett Barnes, Macaulay Culkin, Corey Feldman, people who are, have intimate knowledge of him, Karen Faye's daughter, Ali, we have to believe that all of them lived different lives compared to the kids who are making these allegations now. The way we challenge it is with uh, facts and information and historical facts as well. There's one interesting interview that was carried out after the 2005 trial when Michael was vindicated, and it's with Frank DeLeo, and he's sitting outside the court case, and he said, you know, this clears clears Michael not just from the allegations of 2005, but from the allegations of 1993, which evidence was allowed to be heard in 2005 and was presented to a jury who still didn't find it credible. So, you know, people can say Geordie Chandler got paid off. Geordie Chandler's mum was able to testify in 2005 and the jury did not believe her and still found in Michael's favour. So he effectively, he was tried for that uh, allegation in a court of law and a jury still didn't find in uh, against him. Um, what more can you do than be found innocent and vindicated in your lifetime? You can't be prosecuted after your death. And if you can be prosecuted after your death, that's a very, very dangerous precedent. Because what we're doing, we're turning Michael Jackson into Emmett Till after he's been killed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Samar. And Charlie, what if somebody you knew, a family member, a friend, or someone came up to you at work and said, is Michael a pedophile? Is Michael Jackson a pedophile? How do you respond in a succinct way? What do you say? What- my response would be, I believe absolutely in the principle that unless you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that somebody is guilty of a crime, then it is immoral and offensive and wrong to accuse them of that crime or to uh, suggest or, or say that they're guilty of that crime. I would say that then that I have scrutinized all of the evidence that's in the public domain regarding these allegations, and there never has been a claim which has met the burden of proof. 
which would be required for me to consider it as uh, valid or believable. In fact, every claim which has been brought against Michael Jackson has been extremely dubious. The doubt has been not only reasonable, but overwhelming. You have the 1993 case where two grand juries refused to bring in a, an indictment because the case was so weak. And that 1993 case is the blueprint for every other case which came afterwards. So it all sprang from a case so weak that they couldn't get an indictment from a grand jury, uh, which, of course, in America, they say you can a grand jury will indict a ham sandwich. So the idea that there was any merit to that case or that there was any strength to it, given that it was rejected by two separate grand juries, is just ludicrous. And every subsequent allegation is the love child of, of that allegation. And there was never an allegation made before that. So it's, it's kind of... Uh, it's, it's all fruit of the poison tree. Uh, it all stems from a feeble allegation which a prosecutor couldn't get a grand jury to hand a charge down on. And then you, you take every subsequent allegation in turn and scrutinize the evidence. And again, the evidential threshold is never met for a conviction or even close uh, and, the, and the new allegations are amongst the stupidest that have ever been made with the constantly changing timelines, the contradictory timelines, the timeline that doesn't make any sense where you now, according to Wade's story, you have him applying to be the head of a Michael Jackson tribute show after he's remembered that Michael abused him for nearly 10 years it, it, it's just ludicrous. There's there's nothing there which is compelling. There's nothing there which is credible. Uh, and there's nothing there uh, which which would come even close to meeting the burden of proof. So some people might be comfortable with assuming that somebody is guilty without proof beyond a reasonable doubt. But I am not would you bother in a brief conversation like this in a lunchroom and next to the water cooler, would you get into the detail of the evidence? Would you talk about Evan Chandler was recorded saying blah, blah, blah? Or do you think it's... Oh, no. I mean, if, well, not. it depends what the question was they asked me. But if the question was, is he a paedophile or, or, you know, do you think he's guilty? Then I just would say no, because there's no evidence. Uh, there's no evidence which meets the standard. Um, yeah. Therefore, it's 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 wrong to assume that he did it. You know, if if they wanted to talk specifics, of course, I could do that all day, and then all the next day, and then all the day after that as well. But um, yeah. You no, know, they probably would be suicidal by then. All right. Well, thank you, thank you guys for your answers. I think that's going to be really useful for for fans listening out there when we do get into those conversations in the next month or two, and we will be having them. How do we handle those conversations? <laughs> so, so thank you very much. Um, one last topic that I wanted to chat about with you guys before we sort of wrap up the show is just around some tips on how to live your life around when this is going on because it's going to be hard. You guys mentioned that it's going to be really, 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 really bad. I'm not 
yet willing to throw in with the camp that it's going to be worse than than 2003 to 5 <laughs> in my context but um it's going to be bad there's no doubt about it when this hits tv streaming services yes it is going to be bad so what do we what do we do like what can we do to sort of make ourselves not fall into this trap of um you know, just this never-ending cycle of negativity and being depressed and all of that sort of thing. I've got a couple of tips I want to lead off with, and I'm interested to hear what Mm -hmm. else you guys sort of want to say as well. One of them for me is like choosing who you talk to and choosing who you do actually interact with in your life and on Twitter. There's one type of fan and then there's another type of fan. And um, one thing I've done in my own appreciation of Michael Jackson is make the conscious effort to surround myself with people who... A, think really deeply and critically about Michael Jackson and look at the facts and the evidence and and don't just, you know, watch Michael in gold pants nonstop all day <laughs> on, on their TV. But also choosing people that have a balanced life as my friends so and, and having one myself as well. So loving Michael Jackson and watching Michael Jackson and listening to Michael Jackson music and all of that. But, you know, reading other books on things that aren't to do with Michael, watching lots of different movies, engaging in lots of different activities and things and focusing on my family and focusing on my work and having a broad life that isn't all about Michael Jackson. I think doing those couple of things for me has really, that's different to when I was a kid in school dealing with the allegations where my world was Michael Jackson at that point, you know, (laughs) that that's it. It's, Broadening myself and surrounding myself with different kinds of people has allowed me to go through times of allegations and things like that in a more balanced way. Uh, what about you guys? Samar, what do you think? Yeah, that's very, really good. Uh, the family one is very important. Um, I think having real social interactions, what is it, IRL in real life with real people <laughs> in front of your face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very healthy. I think that's very healthy and to detach yourself from social media every now and again. Very rich for me to say, but you know, I've been off Facebook for two years. So I'm very proud of myself <laughs> and I'm only on Twitter now. So, um, that, I think that's quite important. I mean, I'm involved in all sorts of stuff. I do Pilates. I go to the gym. I go to a boxing gym. I do yoga. I, uh, I've go to a Sufi, Sufi zikr circle where we meditate and, you know, are very deeply into spiritual kind of holistic practices. And which is, I mean, which is absolutely bananas because I tweeted something the other day on my Twitter and Charlie's best friend tweeted me. And I thought, how does this guy know everything that I'm tweeting about? Because I was tweeting about very kind of esoteric Islamic Sufic uh, information and this what's his name is uh, what's his name Charlie James Newman tweeted me and I thought who's this guy why do I know him I'm sure he's familiar and then I messaged Charlie I said who is this guy and he said oh it's my best friend and uh, he uh, he seemed to be familiar with the place that I go to and it's really beautiful it really just detaches you from the world basically and just kind of your troubles and your issues and your stresses and I have I place great belief in my in faith and it doesn't have to be god it doesn't have to be religion people you know swear by yoga people swear by other forms of meditation just to just time some time to detach yourself from worldliness and the world around you i think is quite healthy 
Um, however, you can do that. You know, there are people who do it by climbing mountains. There are people who do it by, you know, cycling for 20, you know, 24 miles a day, just removing themselves from the stresses and strains of going to work on a daily basis. Just helps them kind of recharge their batteries. Um, I, I, what I should say is that the Jackson family are, are an incredible model of how to not let the, the world get you down. Like I said, Taj, who's on the episode earlier today, he's the most good-natured of all of us on here. <laughs> it's like we're so super stressed and we're trying to work out and navigate how to do this and how to do that. And he is the calmest guy in the, in the room. And then, you know, you look at MJ's kids and they're living their lives. I was just looking at Omar Betty's Twitter page and they are, you know, they're keeping themselves active. They're keeping themselves nourished spiritually and kind of you know uh, within their kind of lives and they're a very good model as to how yeah. to not let the world get you down and not let these stresses get you down i mean janet jackson is you know she performed last night and she performed scream with her brother's video behind her last night and while we're kind of pulling our hair out she's able to still do that and it's miraculous yeah. to me that to be honest <laughs> i love those thoughts smarts like engage with it when you need to like when it comes exactly, to you, don't exactly. go out looking for, oh, I'm going to go on Twitter today and look at all the negativity from all these different fans and get yeah, in yeah, fights. Yeah, yeah. Do it when it comes to you. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But also, cool. yeah, but also be aware of your responsibility because, you know, I said to Taj, I've, I've had conversations with him prior to this, and I said, we're not going to be here forever. We're going, mm. you know, we will die in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years if we're lucky. We're the fans who lived during Michael Jackson's life. Mm. Um, and we're not going to be here forever. So we have a responsibility as people who were there and saw it all unfold in front of us to spread what we know. So, for example, when Marina Hyde posts a ignorant, ill-informed article to millions of readers on The Guardian, it's important for us, for people who know that she's posted something that's ignorant and ill-informed to correct her and do it politely and do it, you know, in good faith and hopefully they'll you know people will listen and uh, uh, usually they respond like schoolyard jackasses but hey so be it that's great okay charlie how do you recommend to people to balance wanting to fight for michael and wanting to to get in there and defend him but also not getting dragged into negativity and and being depressed basically <laughs> uh yeah well so last saturday I had plans to spend all day working on an important project that I was supposed to be working on. And instead, I spent about 15 hours on Twitter. And so uh, I'm possibly not the best person to be advising. <laughs> but uh, but I, I had to. I was so mentally drained by the end of that day that I had to like come off of Twitter for the next 48 hours because it was just exhausting. So what I'm doing at the moment to cope, upset some people by saying this, but I'm basically, I'm not reading anything that anyone sends me. So in terms of tweets, if people are tweeting me, then the only way it gets read is if I know them. So if you tweet me, I'll read it. But I'm just skimming through, because there's just so much fucking stuff coming in. And then on <laughs> top of that, I'm getting emails from people I've never heard of, like every day, and so I, ju I just can't engage with all that because I will never ever get anything done. 
and it will consume my whole life. So I'm just, uh, I'm having to tune everything out. And I'm putting messages out there, but I'm ignoring what's coming back for the most part because I, it's like so much admin is like a full-time job and I, I just can't do that. So uh, in terms of like how to escape, I'm not quite as active as Sam. Uh, I tend to just watch Frasier and drink custard. <laughs> so um sounds, sounds like my time <laughs> uh, I do have a great circle of friends and uh I see my friends often but um but you know I think I think my number one thing that I'm doing at the moment is just trying to tune out a lot of the noise and focus on putting messages out that I think are beneficial but not get involved in tit for tats and back and forth that day when i lost like 15 hours i was involved in an endless back and forth with this complete idiot um who <laughs> used to be famous in england called dom jolly um, oh God, and, and then a, another idiot called david Badil, who also used to be famous oh god in england he so, got dragged the other day for something else didn't he which was nothing yeah. to do with Michael Jackson, and it was just a beautiful moment because yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even the, it wasn't even the MJ fam doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm avoiding all that now. So I'm not getting involved in tit for tat. And and if I do message any of these journalists, which I'm doing quite often uh, to embarrass them, they will not come back to me because they they know they can't win. So I'm just kind of uh, enjoying sending them abusive <laughs> messages and then logging off. <laughs> it is. Quite, like it. it must be quite difficult. It must be quite difficult, though, Charlie. Because honestly, I thought about it, and I thought it's. I find I find it quite difficult sometimes talking to people in the in the mainstream media because obviously I work in media to some degree, but you're an actual journalist, and yeah. well, you these are, people are not. Well, you know, you are going up against, uh, however <clears throat> kind of ignorant they might be. They are, you know, quite. I don't want to say powerful, but they are well known and oddly well-respected um, mm. people writing for big publications. And, I mean, I've got to take my hat off to you because you really put yourself on the line and it's, you know, you. if anyone could be making money out of this as a journalist right now, you could be making money out of this as a journalist right now because, you know, like, like Taj said, if you spun it a different way, you know, you could, you could be taking this all the way to the bank if you wanted to. So I have a lot of respect for what you do in terms of challenging your your colleagues, your fellow journalists, um, and being brave enough to do that and risk because it is a risk, and people have to understand it's a risk to do that. Oh mm. yeah, it's yeah. a massive risk. I mean, um, you know, it could impede my career. But you know, what I have to ask myself is, would I want to work with the kind of people who are involved in what's going on now? And the answer is no. So I don't give a shit if they. Uh, scrub me out of their address book or say, right, he's never going to come and work for us because I don't want to come and fucking work for you because you're a cunt. <laughs> so, oh, no. um, <laughs> Sorry, Q. <laughs> Sorry, Q. Yeah, so, um, you know, fuck him. All right, so thank, <laughs> thanks for that wonderful uh, advice there, Charlie. And Q, <laughs> Q I mean, you, you have a job that nobody envies, mate. You are running the MJ cast social media and you're hit, getting hit with hundreds of um, mentions all the time every day around this, around this crap. So hat off to you as well, mate, for navigating all that every day. 
but what what are your tips on how do you balance wanting to fight for MJ, defend MJ, but then also not getting dragged into this constant negativity and depression around it? Some days I think that I'm doing a good job at that and in other days I think I'm not doing a great job at balancing it at all because it is, is exhausting and there's this just this crushing feeling on my shoulders that I haven't felt for years since like the last time we've had to deal with this. I think in a way that when I am sort of actively campaigning against this, it is helping me. That is like one of my outlets. Like I said, I've been doing this in the past. I did this, you know, I'm physically doing something. And for me, and I know for a lot of people, that is an outlet for this. And I think the way you have to do it has to be a constructive way that will have an effect. So for me, it is trying to get the message out there that these people can be discredited because they are the fake moon landers they are the flat earthers. They are the crazy ones in this because they don't have truth, facts, and evidence on their side. They've just got claims and very, very unreliable claims. So my that's my avenue of getting the, the truth and the facts out there is just to get the, the evidence out there and show that they are the flat earthers and the fake moon landers in this. So outside of the social media, which does take hours every day, I I just have to consciously now daily go, okay, cool. I'm actually done for the day on, on online and now I'm going to take some time for myself. I'm going to do my own social media, which is days behind. Like I really have been struggling just to enjoy my own social media because I'm never on there at the moment. Focus on work. Like thankfully I have like a job that I love and that there's stuff that I need to keep in the forefront of my mind constantly, like safety stuff, emergency procedures and medical knowledge and stuff like that. So keeping focused on work is a good distraction. Like, and that's always been a thing as well. You can distract yourself with work, especially if you enjoy it. Yeah. And then time out of that is just, yeah, I, that's where I'm struggling at the moment is trying to pull myself outside of that and do stuff for myself and things like that. But that the points that were made about doing things in real life, especially with friends in real life, is a huge thing. So talking to my friend Paul Black the other day for like two hours about this was really very helpful. Organizing a meetup with my Perth MJ friends in the coming weeks, like that's going to be really good as a support network to actually, you know, see each other in real life and see how we're all going and maybe just make sure everyone's got the right focus and the right ammunition for this and the right support network and doing that actually in real life as well as online. But some days I'm struggling to find a balance still because it is an awful, awful feeling. But I think this episode is going to help in many ways. Firstly, we need to get word out about Taj's GoFundMe we need to support that if we can. And if we can't, find people that can support it by sharing the news. Secondly, focusing on what we have on our side, which is the facts and the evidence, because we heard from Marcos who saw the film, they don't have that at all. They've just got the shock and the awe campaign. And thirdly, 
listeners of this show hearing from us who are fans as well as people that have seen the film and Taj, of course, but just hearing from us as fans and how we have dealt with it in the past and how we're going to deal with it now is also going to be a huge benefit to people. And with that, I want to say thank you, Charlie, who is sick as anything, and I really hope you get better soon for joining us. That's no problem. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Samar, it was great to talk to you again and to have your insight and perspective and knowledge. And thank you for all you're doing online as well as Charlie. And thank you for your time late, late tonight. Oh, bless you. Honestly, after the BBC thing, this was it was it was just nice to be in the company of friends, to be <laughs> honest. Thank you very much. Happy to have helped in that aspect as well. And Jamin, thank you. I know, you know, we, we're technically still on break. This is season four, mm-hmm. which is hilarious <laughs> because season four wrapped at Christmas with our giant Christmas episode. And then we did put out a surprise episode, which did turn into something a little bit different with the post show, which I, again, urge you, if you haven't heard the Harrison Funk post show after the music finishes, there's like 45 minutes of discussion on this topic and a lot of context. We dropped that. Our plan next was to enjoy our break and maybe drop the mixtape. Of course, this is not going away. So this was something that was needed. So thank you for your time in helping put this together. There might not be much for a couple of weeks, folks, like, you know, there's not a lot we can do. We've given you some advice. We've given you roadmap. We're online, but episode-wise, season five hasn't started yet, and that's <laughs> on the cards for a little bit later, maybe March. Who can say? We'll see. But we'll thank see. you for your time with this and for editing this together. And, yeah, I do think that this will help a lot of people in a number of ways and and not just as the co-host of the MJ cast, but as a fan and a friend, thank you all for contributing to this. And um, I wish everyone strength and positivity stay on focus with the facts and the evidence and we can turn the tide. Jamin quickly, as we wrap this up and sign off and say farewell and thank you, can you do the social networks? Absolutely. So you can uh, find us online at themjcast.com. That's our website. We put all of our episodes up on there uh, as a repository. But um, we're also on social media. So on Facebook, we're at The MJ Cast, Twitter, The MJ Cast. We're on Instagram as The MJ Cast. We'd love it if you could follow us and interact with us. If you want to drop us uh, an email, you can send us an email at themjcast at iCloud.com. And also, we'd love it if you could subscribe to our show uh, on a podcast application. If you're streaming on the website right now or listening on YouTube, there's a much better way to hear the show, and that is in a podcast application. Uh, For example, Apple Podcasts on iOS devices or or Stitcher Radio on Android or lots of different places, the benefit is that they get delivered straight to your device for you. And as you're listening, the show notes are there on the screen for you to explore and follow as it's happening. So please consider subscribing. Also, we've had a couple of great participants on the show today. Charlie, we've got you here. How can people reach you on Twitter? Please don't contact me. But um, (laughs) you can follow me on Twitter. At Matt C E Thompson T H O M S O N. Great, thank you, Charlie. Um, and also Samar. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter on, at at the M J A P. I have just passed four thousand followers, Charlie. 
Really? Uh, irritatingly, he beat me to it, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's quality, right? It's quality, right? There you go. Let's get in. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to check on. right now. Well, I hope they're real and not bots. Like, we have a pretty good <laughs> bot check system. I don't know what your curation's like, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's, all, it's all the big guns. It's all the big guns that follow me. <laughs> right. Good, good. I just want to say, in regards to social media, guys, contacting us via social media is great. We can't keep up with it all, which is a shame. Elise, thank you so much for your assistance on social media and also the show notes today as well. But definitely your assistance in social media has been a huge blessing and huge help. So thank you, Elise. But folks, when you're contacting us, just going to say direct messaging is not the best way. So Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, Twitter DM, not the best way. Where a public account, just contact us publicly that's all I'm asking. Like we have got so many notifications that I can assure you a lot are getting lost and DMing and personal messaging and stuff is not the best way. And I really would just like to put a little discouragement out there if possible, please just do it yeah. publicly. That's all. I just well, want to confirm that I, I actually do still have more Twitter followers. Than <laughs> Fake news. Fake news. Hashtag fake news. Oh, my God. Uh, again, thank you, Charles. Thank you, Samar. We'll talk soon. And uh, all the best. And Charles, get well soon. And Jamin, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no worries, Q. It's been lots of fun. Uh, this is the longest season ever, season four of the MJ cast. Uh, but uh, it certainly has been a great show. Look, I just want to send a uh, word of encouragement out there to fans all around the world as well. Stay strong. Keep balanced. You know, just get ready because you are going to have those conversations with people and hopefully this show's uh, served you well in knowing how to have them. We'll be back. uh, I'm not sure when. Mixtape next, hopefully, and then maybe in a month or so or more, we'll be back with season five of the MJ cast. Keep Michaeling. Thank you again, everyone. Tune in, stay subscribed to the MJ cast, and we can fight this with facts and evidence. Go and do your duty in a rational way. Michael on.